Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag your mind Good evening everyone I'm Rick Walker. Welcome back to the Maverick News Channel. Hello, Maverick family. Welcome, new viewers. Great to have you all joining me here tonight. We are going to touch on these things tonight. Well, dig into these things. Protests. Million March for Children Round 2 or Save the Children protests in Canada. We'll show you what that was like today across the country. We will give you an update on the situation with the war between Israel, Hamas, and others. And uh, later in the broadcast, in a couple of hours, we will be joining Lori with her Strange Bedfellows program. We'll just transition from this right into that at 9 p.m. And the discussion on the situation in Israel-Palestine will continue with some special guests. It will be a discussion, sort of a debate but more of a discussion. And uh, hopefully something productive comes out of that. We're going to talk about a few other things that are maybe a little lighter in nature. There's a, a, a gentleman who's 99 years old who climbed all the way up to the top of the CN Tower. 99 years old, did it today. And while he was doing that, he was raising money for the United Way charity. So we're going to show you that too. And uh, what else do I have for you? Um, yeah, also related to this situation, potentially, probably. The president of a uh, synagogue in Detroit stabbed to death. The investigation has been opened by Detroit police, murdered. I'll show you. And we'll talk about that, too. Now, during the course of tonight's program, you can join the show by clicking on the link, the video link to the studio that I've already posted in uh, most of the chats. Not all of the chats, but I will post it over on uh, or the Rumble channels as well. Or simple as this, go to mavericknews.ca and there's a link on the homepage of the Maverick News website. You click that, takes you right to the studio with your webcam or your cell phone camera, 
and you can join the conversation. And over the course of the program, we'll, we'll hopefully take some video calls and turn this into a bit of a, an ongoing discussion where you guys have a voice. Instead of going to the phones tonight, we'll do it by video if anybody wants to join. And hopefully Leo, Mouth of the South, will join us shortly to give us his report on the way things went uh, with the Million March for Children, round two in Windsor. Windsor, Ontario, Canada, sitting right there, smack dab on the doorstep of Detroit. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll start digging into all of that and more right here on the Maverick News Channel. Be right back. Greetings, brave Mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are Maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms. Credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow, maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, so I'm told we are not broadcasting on Rumble, so I'm fixing that as we speak. And there we are. Hello, viewers over on Rumble. Welcome to the Maverick News channel. Great to have everyone here, finally, together at last. My apologies. I had uh, didn't have enough streams set up, but I think we're firing on all cylinders now and thank you for our caller who just notified me that we were not broadcasting on the main rumble channel now again if you'd like to join the broadcast tonight and comment add your voice you can do that by clicking on the video link which i have already posted in the main chat i'm going to add that right now to the rumble channels in the chat over there. Let me just see here. I think we are. Yes, we are. There we are. There we are. We are running. And there's the link. Link to the studio. So you can join the conversation. Not by phone. By video call. Now, if you're really, really shy, you can join by audio only as an option but we'd like to see some smiling faces on the program tonight. Let me just uh, add this to the other Rumble channel as well. On the fly in the chat over there. And I'm almost there. Sorry for the delay. Clicking here and clicking there. And now I think I've clicked everywhere. Yes, sir. 
Uh-huh. There we go. And in the chat over here, too. Lots of people watching over here tonight, too, on Channel 2. Here we go. As I say, if you want to just go for, if it's easier for you, if you're not seeing this in your chat, but there it is, link to studio with the hyperlink. Now, you can also go to maverickNews.ca and join the conversation that way. So let me post that as a banner as well. I'll put it up here. We had it before. I'll make it. Get rid of that one. And get rid of that one. And that one. Create this. Mavericknews.ca. That'll make it easy for you. Just go there. Scroll down. And it says join the show. Click the link. It takes you to the studio with your webcam or your cell phone camera. And we can have a, a group conversation tonight um, by video call. Okay. So first of all, before we bring our first caller in, let me just kind of set things up here a little bit. We have Israel saying that they are getting ready to step up attacks in Gaza. Thousands of people have already died. Thousands more injured. Of course, all this starting back on October 7th, at least this round of violence and war, with that unprecedented surprise attack on Israel. And uh, now we're seeing retaliation from Israel. Humanitarian groups have urged Israel to call off um, the evacuation of Gaza and agree to a ceasefire. All this happening while some aid, a limited amount of aid, is being allowed into the country uh, through the border with Egypt. That uh, the word is the aid that is getting in is not having much impact. Emotions are at a fever pitch. And uh, we're seeing a lot of death and destruction. All right, let's uh, here's Gina joining us live. Hello, Gina. Hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So what what are we we are talking about the the, the Palestine debate? Is that what well, we're, we're gonna talk about that and also this, you know, what happened today with this million march for children round two or save the children, whatever. Um, you know, we could probably even start with some of that tonight, because at the end of the broadcast, I'm going to be going over and joining Lori, and we're going to carry that straight into this program seamlessly. And that's going to be a lively discussion, if not debate over there. So probably save a lot of this material on Israel and Palestine for later in the broadcast. So okay. protest stuff, I think, first up. Did you watch any of that? stuff nope. today did you see any of that stuff today no no i've uh i've i've been kind of holding my breath thinking well you know 
I heard about what was supposed to be going down in the valley and um and uh I I have hopes in some sense. I mean, okay, so I, I watched Rebel News the other day and they were doing one of the um one of the 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 protests that was going on and they had the protesters actually had people in vests that were stopping the people from talking to the guy from rebel news they were literally taking the people and moving them mm-hmm. so at first i kind of thought that that i'm like oh that why would they be doing that why would they be stopping the people from from doing that and and at first i kind of thought oh you know that's that's kind of like why are they stopping them like are they controlling are they trying to control the narrative what's going on here and i thought about it and i thought well in a way it's kind of brilliant because they have a focus group and they're they're doing this and they're not letting anybody talk to any anybody of you know uh, in the news they do have some people that were actually there one woman she came in almost like an advocate and she said you know this is what they stand for this is oops this is what they stand for this is what they're about and so um he's sitting there and he's trying to Sorry, so keep, like, keep going. Yeah. Okay. This, so he, this was Queens Park in Toronto today. Okay. So he's sitting there and he was getting kind of shifted around. Um, and nobody, like anytime anybody was about to talk to them, the people in the vest would come in and take the people away and say, no, you can't talk to them. So in a sense, in a sense, I thought, well, you know, it would be a good way to prevent any confusion of you know, they have a narrative. This is why they're there. They've made it very clear why they're there. And they're not letting anybody else say anything else. In a way, that could be that could be actually a good thing. Because it's one perspective, one narrative. And, you know, they're keeping everybody focused instead of talking. Who's they? To- who, are you, who are you talking about? The cops? They weren't cops. They yeah, were just people. About. They were just people that were in the crowd that were wearing vests and they would go up as soon as um the the head guy from rebel i can't and remember his name where, where uh, is where is this you're talking about in toronto it was, on, it was on rebel news yesterday oh, okay um and so at, at, he was doing this and trying to get people to communicate with him and like i said they just kept pulling him off off of the off of the main and they just wouldn't let anybody talk to him so, I see. Well, today, I mean, I, I, I kind of like to talk about what's going on today. Okay. Because it was supposed to be a big deal, and uh, so what we saw, what I, what I've seen so far is just um, nowhere near the crowds that we saw during the original Million March for Children. We saw hundreds of thousands of people come out for the first one across Canada in every major city, with all kinds of live streams being done. Today, what I'm seeing is. There was one in Toronto, which you're seeing here, and they have a crowd, but nowhere near what they had the last time. Nowhere near. Out in Ottawa also, there was a protest. We'll show you some footage from that. Again, 
a protest, but nowhere near the size of the protests that we saw the first time around. Um, so there was a, there was supposed you? to be one here locally in my hometown, and I've seen no evidence so far that it even happened. I couldn't go down to check it out today. I did go to the first one, which for a town our size was well attended the first time around. This time there was some question whether it was going to happen or not. People asking were told, yes, it is happening, but I haven't seen any videos, no pictures of it. My guess is if it did happen, it was also much smaller than the first one. There was some sort of a, someone had said it was a pro-Palestine protest in my hometown today. I don't know if it was mistaken or if it turned into that. I don't know. I didn't see it the whole time I was out today anywhere, so I'm not sure what happened here. Uh, also, there was supposed to be some out west with counter-protests also in some of these major cities. Not seeing that much coverage. And you can see from the size of this crowd, yeah, they have a, a protest, but it's not like the streets jammed with people like we saw the first time around. What's your assessment, Gina, of this crowd? All right. Well, I, I'm actually, I, I wasn't sure which way it was going to go, whether the streets were going to be empty or if it was just going to be a few or if it was going to be this massive thing. I mean, the main guy did say that there wasn't a march. And so some of the people who probably were going to follow through with that probably decided that they would wait until, you know, um, another one was announced before yeah, they Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, you're right, because... The guy who was sort of the, the main organizer for the first one. Kumar, put, I think his name was. Yeah, yeah, he put out a notification that their their protest Canada-wide was canceled. And right. then you had all these smaller groups saying, no, we're still going to do it. And they, uh, they also had their own websites and they tried to put it together. And this is the result that you're seeing here. So, yes, there was some sort of a split or division there. So I do think that, that that probably has to do partly because of it. And I think there's also just a lot of fear. Like I was talking to my grandkids' uh, dad and, um, you know, he, he uh, lives down in the Fraser Valley. And he went down a few days ago to one in Abbotsford and he said, you know, it was a save the children thing. And everybody there pretty well was you know of different nationalities and um they were all really looking at him funny until he bought a shirt and once he bought a shirt then everybody was all welcoming hey okay we know that you're you know you're good you're you know you're part of you're so welcome in right but up to that point they were a little bit hesitant on even accepting them in but there was no other white people there and so just an interesting twist on things of of kind of how this thing is going down well, I think that's why there was so there was so much concern is because during the first march, of course, we saw a, a huge um, a huge portion of the, the protest made up of people from the the Muslim community and um, or communities. Uh, this time around, of course, because of the situation in Palestine, there are some there were some concerns about. I think maybe things escalating or getting a little out of hand, maybe, or whatever, just because there's so much emotion surrounding the Palestine-Israel issue and the pro-Palestinian protesters in particular, I think, have, have emotions running at a fever pitch. 
So I think there was some reluctance to allow those two issues and groups uh, to overlap, mesh, and maybe create something that was not manageable. So um, maybe wisely, the organizer of the original uh, protest canceled his. These things got scaled down from everything I've seen so far. Everything pretty much has been well-managed. People have been entirely peaceful that I've seen so far. Uh, so it seems to have been, I would say, where it's happened, still successful protests, just not on the scale that we saw the first time around. And, of course, to, to duplicate that phenomenal success in terms of you know the, how successful can a protest be, I don't think we've seen a protest on that scale in Canada maybe ever in 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 the past in Canada. Uh, that first Million March for Children protest, and, and to have that many people come out in every major city and a lot of even smaller and medium-sized cities. I mean, it was nationwide. There was no way to really calculate or assess how many people in total came out for that protest. It was, it was truly amazing. I was very, very... Um, I was just, that's the word, amazed. Well, I remember having a conversation with you and telling you some time ago before all of this even, you know, happened that, you know, I, I have many Muslim friends and, um, hi everybody. <laughs> and, um, and, um, and really I knew that, um, when they found out what was going on, that they would be like this, just like what it is here. Like I said to you, they're very well organized people and they come together and they they know how to work together really, really well. And um, they've always impressed me with how good they are with the community thing. I, you know, I mean, I didn't grow up with a lot of family thing and they're just very very different and amazing people on so many different levels and so um you know i knew that once they found out that their kids were being taught these things that they're being taught in the schools that they would not put up with it i knew like i was just waiting i've been holding my breath waiting for them to step up because like i said i do know them and you know and and i've seen what they you know how protective they are over their families i've seen how protective they are about their religion and what their beliefs are and you know i mean that the sex thing that's a huge thing in their in in their religion and so they they have a certain way that things have to be presented and and is expected well they're yeah, i mean they're very conservative yes um, when it comes to these uh social and cultural issues Yes. Uh, you know, they have their own, you know, their their own take on it because of, you know, their religion. Exactly. But on this particular issue, they certainly, I would say, are in alignment with Christians and mm -hmm. the freedom movement, the cons yeah. you know, the conservative elements of the freedom movement. So there there's that. And here's this video from Chris Dacey today. Let's this is in Ottawa, of course, the nation's capital, where Chris Dacey uh, is constantly engaged in videography and and his own brand or style of journalism. Uh, today, he was documenting um, not just 
the protests up there, but the counter protests. So this is a video of a counter protest, I believe. And this uh, kind of morphs into, once again, a sort of confrontation between Chris Dacey, the videographer, and a police officer. And we have that exchange for you coming up right here. So take a look at this and you can make your own assessment. So this is the counter protest. Chris Dacey is no doubt an advocate for the freedom of I'm not starting anything. These people are putting stuff in my face. I'm walking. Dude, I'm just walking. Excuse me, stop following me. What are you doing to me, man? What are you doing? I'm a, I'm a public That's sidewalk fine. and I'm filming an event. That's fine. Excuse me, no, it's not fine. Please get out of my space. You Why is this guy engaging me like this? Excuse me. I'm going to continue walking and filming as is my right. You don't have a right to impede me for no reason. Right? Do you? I'm doing, I'm filming, man. They're yelling at me. I've been told to fuck off. I've been... Blasted in the face with sound we devices. I've been pushed. That's okay. It's not me starting shit here, man. No, I'm not. I'm here filming for a completely unrelated thing, actually. I'm trying to provoke. The people just screamed at me and told me to fuck off by name. And I'm provoking them? They also have plastered posters all over downtown with my face lying about me. Wait, you think you know who I am? You don't know who I am. You don't know anything about me. But you don't get to intimidate and infringe my rights. It's not okay, man. It's not. You stand up and intimidate people in the street like that? Is that what police are here to do? Dude, that's not what you were doing, man. That's not what you were doing. Enforcing the law equally. We were told last week that everyone using an application device would be charged on this street. Now you've closed down the street and allowed people to blast those right in my face. Hey, man. Showing everyone who you are, man. Showing everyone who you are. Wow. What do you think, Gina? I'm not impressed. By whom? Are you still there or did you freeze up? I think you froze up on the internet. Nice snapshot, though. 
Hang on a second here. I'm sure Gina will be back. There you go. You're back. Okay. <laughs> you froze up on me there. <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry about that. <laughs> it's that Wi-Fi thing. I don't know. What, you what, know, do you, you what, know, what did you? Sometimes these yeah. conveniences are rather inconvenient. <laughs> if you know what I mean. That's okay. So, what what's your assessment of that? Okay. So, I understand that you know some people do get really frustrated with the fact that there are cameras in their faces. And, and, you know, I, you know, there has to be some sort of, you know, some sort of respect and understanding that, you know, maybe, you know, might be worthwhile backing off and, and, and pulling back just a little bit. But I think that the live videos are really, really important because that way then we kind of keep everything in check and make sure that there isn't anything going on that there shouldn't be um, without there going to be, you know, accountability. So saying that, I do also understand that the police officer was trying to do his job, um, supposedly keeping the peace. Although I do question why they were using those microphones when it seemed the other team, you know, was trying to use microphones and the cops go in there and they are, you know, being arrested for using them. So it's kind of like there's a little bit of favoritism going on here. Um, and that they are, you know, accepting and allowing those kinds of behaviors to happen. Yeah. Um, and I don't really think that that's really quite appropriate. Um, I, I believe that, you know, if they want equality, it should be equality across the board. And if it's good for one team, then it should be good for the other. Well, it should and, definitely be equal application of the law. Right. And so when when you see police officers, I mean, all he was doing was, you know, he was filming. But was he? He he was. That, that's the question, though. Was he just shooting he, video? Well, was, was he, he antagonizing was, in any that's way? That's what where I was going to get to. He was, accusing he, he was a little bit on the cheeky side, mm -hmm. and so. You know, I mean, the thing is, is you got to understand these cops, they're doing their job. And if you got somebody coming up to you and you're, you know, you got this camera and you're, you know, doing it in your face and, and, um, and you're almost pushing the button. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly they know who he is because he's out, he's, he's become a bit of a public figure himself, right? By doing these videos constantly so they're expecting him police are expecting him the Canada protesters are expecting him he's obviously on the freedom team not right. on the counter protester team i don't think honestly that chris stacy did anything wrong in this particular instance but they 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 see him as an antagonist and just his presence near those counter protesters is potentially inflammatory. In fact, it is inflammatory. Yes. The cops are aware of that. So, you know, I think in their minds, it's like, we need to keep these, keep him separated from the crowd in case, because it could go sick, could sour very, very easily. Right. And that's their job is to keep the peace, keep people right. safe, keep people separated who might fight. And there he is pretty much on his own, surrounded by a lot of people. So not just for the protesters' safety, but also for his. Exactly. You know, I think that they're kind of pushing him back, pushing him back. When they saw him, you know, potentially getting into a situation that might be dangerous for everyone, um, 
you know, I understand too that he has his rights. He should be allowed to, to to shoot video, but that's also quite honestly why when I go out to an event like that, I never get up in anybody's face. I don't yell at people. I certainly don't get up in the faces of police. I've never ever done that. You have to be neutral. You have to be. You have to record the event, not become part of the event. Because as soon as you do, then you you can put yourself in a position like he was in right there where you know now it becomes a question does he have a right to do that does he have a right to be there or not that's a it's a a little bit of a tricky question i understand both perspectives on it you guys can make your own assessment i i'm not sure where to come down i mean i for me i conduct myself in a different manner he has his style his approach to it I have mine. What do you think? Well, personally, I wouldn't have done it that way either. I don't think I would have, you know, pushed it with the police officers. First of all, like you said, the cops do know who he is. So they've probably been, you know, um, educated and informed of how, you know, they're supposed to, you know, let's just keep him under control, you know, try not to say too much. You don't need to, you know, you just, your presence can be enough, right? Um, I can get it. Like I, I do get it. And uh, you know, I mean, he does have a right to be there, but back off. Like, I mean, you yeah. don't need to be, you don't need to be in their face to the point where he's literally in their face. That's, that's just asking for trouble. And that's what I mean about being cheeky. Like, you know, he's just like, it's almost like he's almost, almost pushing that button. And yes, he's like on the line, right. You know, of, almost harassment to the police officer but not enough to really do anything but then yet you know he's almost kind of pulled back and you know well look at the way that i was treated well maybe if you wouldn't have been as pushy and it's not even just that this particular incident gina it's because he has a track record right? This is his style. He is antagonistic. He, right. you know, it, he shouts at the politicians and, and like shouts hard questions. Also, I think sometimes goes beyond asking a question to, to add commentary, colorful commentary at times to the, to the politicians, sometimes that is in, in a, in a manner that's accusatory. And I, I don't know that it's entirely productive. And as a result, he gets himself pushed back, right? Now, uh, it's becoming increasingly difficult to, to be a journalist today, especially an independent journalist, because I can tell you that after working in mainstream media for well over 25 years, I never found myself in a position like Chris Stacy is constantly in right now in this conflict with police out in the streets. Some some of those guys treat him pretty well, but other some sometimes he gets this as a result. I can tell you that just phoning cops now because I'm independent and because the word freedom flows freely around this program, sometimes I can't even get a call back from the cops, depending on the police service that I deal with. And it's just because they automatically assume that I'm some adversary or that I'm going to try to burn them or that I can't be trusted or they just don't want to talk to me because they're not going to agree with my politics. 
making these assumptions because of the polarization that we are seeing, you know, in, in our political discourse. It's, it's a yeah. terrible situation. Sometimes police do still work with me. Sometimes they won't even call me back. And then we, we see this on the streets up there in Ottawa. So, of course, cops give more preferential treatment to the mainstream media because they're known, they're, they are mainstream, they're part of the establishment, they don't feel threatened by them, they don't think they pose a threat to the, the politicians. But when you have an activist journalist like Chris Dacey, they see him as a potential threat even to the safety of politicians. That's really the way they would view him. And that's why he gets pushed back and pushed back. And then if he gets up in the faces of the, the police officers, then it becomes a, a gray area. Where's his right? Where do his rights start and end? And, and how, how do the cops deal with someone like that? It's a difficult question. I totally understand what he's doing. I respect what he's doing. He's just got his own agenda, his own style, his own objectives that sort right. of, it's a different kind of journalism, if you will. He is recording things, but he's also trying to affect change. He's inserting himself into the story, becoming part of the story. And that is really the difference. And because he's on a side, he's picked a side and it's clear and he's not really trying to be unbiased. He, he's seen as a threat, as an antagonist, even without antagonizing anybody. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, like you said, it's his track record, right? Unfortunately, um, and he's you know, not alone. I mean, and you get it on the other side too. I mean, just yeah. this is what's happened to journalism today. It's makes it difficult to do your job. It makes it difficult to be allowed. It, you're you're often not allowed into things. You're excluded. They shut you out. Until I started, like the whole time I worked in mainstream media, I was able to go. I don't think I was ever shut out of anything ever. Never wow. denied access to an event or anything wow. by anyone. Because I was always very careful to try to, to be fair and, uh, and as neutral as I possibly could be. Sometimes my bias might show, but overall, I, I think I always try to, tried to treat people fairly. I still try to. Even even today, even though this in this medium, I inject my opinion quite often, as you know, but uh, <laughs> things have sure changed. They have. They really have, Rick. And it's, you know, it's very interesting that, you know, I mean, there's been so much change. I mean, I do have I do have many concerns about everybody that's doing reporting nowadays just because of the way that things are going. Um, we just don't know who's who's safe for any of it, you know, Um I mean, I was having a chat with Matt the other day, Matt unseated, and and you know, I mean, it's 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 getting it's getting pretty scary out there, and you know, I mean, we do have to tread lightly, all of us, and um, you know, be careful on you know how we respond to things. So, where's this one? This is Queens Park again. We're back okay. to, the, to the one in Toronto, which, from everything I have seen so far. Yeah, this is the, the largest protest of, of all of them so far across Canada. And I think most of them either didn't happen or they were quite small. But mm. 
that's just my assessment from what I'm seeing on social media. I know Leo did go down to the one in Windsor today. I saw some video from him. Uh, he, I think, is going to join us on the program at some point and tell us what he witnessed, bring us a report, and we'll all save his video for when he arrives. But uh, even that one, uh, from what I saw, was not nearly, not nearly as large as the first Million March for Children, and certainly not as large, nowhere near as large as the uh, the pro-Palestine demonstration that we saw marching through the streets a, a few nights ago in Windsor. Well, I'm happy. I'm I personally, I'm 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 happy that you know that things have kind of turned out the way that they have, where there's no violence. I mean, and this is kind of the way that you know, like the average Canadians, you know that. They're representing us right now, at least in my opinion. There isn't any violence. They're they're just you know walking along, and you know they're they're sharing you know with the world that this is their opinion about this situation, and that they feel that you know something this needs to be addressed, and um, you know that we're not going to be ignored, and that you know our children and our families, our beliefs, all need to be taken under consideration when they are trying to educate our children in the manner that they have been um, for the last several years. Um, and I, I'm, I'm pleased. Like I, you know, I mean, cause I'm, I kind of, I'm on the same thing as the, the, the love thing too, right? Like it's about, you know, I don't, I don't want there to be, you know, war about any, you know, I don't want any more deaths and I don't, and it isn't about, you know, who's right or who's wrong. All I know is I just don't want there to be that. And and so I'm really glad that they're acting like the traditional Canadians who don't want that as well. So it makes me feel good about the fact that and proud that I'm a Canadian because we're once again, despite all of the garbage that's going on, we are presenting ourselves in a really, really great, respective manner, at least in my opinion. Yeah, so here's more footage out of Queen's Park today. This was earlier in the day, and it was kind of chaotic down there. There's these counter-protesters, right? Mixed right in, actually, with... Uh, Look at this guy with his with the his other arm. He doesn't even know where he's pointing because he doesn't even know where. And this footage was shot by Lamont Dagle. The one thing that I have noticed is a lot of them cover their faces, whether it be with masks or signs or umbrellas or whatever. They don't seem to want, you know, they want to be seen, sort of. Well, that's the thing really we saw from that uh, leaked union meeting from the last March that uh, it was the unions that were spearheading these counter protests, some of Canada's largest unions. There were hundreds of people in that meeting. It's now, you know, their masks are literally off because of that. So we know that they've been instrumental in organizing and facilitating massive protests involving the pride movement and probably blm and tifa union people on the left side of the political spectrum yes yeah and in that meeting they were telling people to wear masks as i recall which honestly i think in canada i'm not sure maybe as a provincial thing maybe it's a us i think there is a law though 
uh, against, well, maybe not. There, there's some sort of law about wearing a mask, concealing your identity, um, I, yeah. especially I, in the commission of a crime. So I, now this isn't necessarily a crime, but yeah, when you're wearing a mask, now I don't think it is a crime to, to protest with a mask on. I've seen a lot of over the years, union picket lines where they do exactly that. They're, they'll wear a mask. But you know why they do it? And this is just the the, 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 the the hard truth of this. I've been on many picket lines where union members or picketers will put a mask on because that what they're going because they're ready to damage a vehicle or commit some sort of vandalism or do something violent in order to. Uh, make a point on the picket line especially if they're bringing in scabs or something like that so uh, that's really what's going on there let's bring leo into the conversation here he is the man without a plan what's happening well i was gonna ask you the same thing man what was it yeah, like down there in oh, windsor today yeah it was weird the anti-protesters uh they're getting bigger yeah, in, in, in size, right? Uh, for the last one. But uh, okay. people that wear masks, they have to hide their identity for, you know, a couple of a reasons. Reason. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's a reason. It's probably a lot of it's uh, their job. Okay. Uh, they don't want to be seen by their employer. Uh, hmm. Another another one is it's, uh, they're probably political. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh and when shit does hit the fan, it's always nice to have a mask on, right? So you can't be identified. But in today's world, with all the tracking systems and uh, and cameras set up all over our downtown core, as soon as you pull the mask off, even if you go into a Starbucks uh, cafe and you pull the mask off, you'll be seen eventually, right? So yeah, you can't yeah. you can run, but you can't hide. That's very true these days. Very, very difficult to hide your identity if you're out yeah, in look, public like that. I'm trying to hide my identity. You're really in <laughs> trouble then, Leo, because I can see your face. <laughs> well, Pierre Polly have Pierre Polly have uh, had apples. I'm having watermelon. Oh, good. Well, while you chew on that watermelon, why don't you tell us what we're looking at here? This is your video from earlier today, down on the. Uh, Windsor, Ontario. Leave our kids alone. So give me your uh, your take on the size of the crowd there today, Leo. I'm going to be nice and say not more than 100. Not more than 100 people showed up, and there's reasons behind that. In the 11th hour, I got a text, actually. I worked till 5.30 in the morning, right? So I never had any text. When I went to bed at 6 in the morning, and when I woke up, there was text how, how it was canceled, this and that. And the one of the 
permit holders for the last one we had in Windsor. Yeah. Okay. Elton Robinson, he says he's pulling back away. I'm like, really? You know, what do you have to worry about, really? Okay. So, so there were texts anyways. going out. They were canceled. Some people were saying this was canceled, and some of the organizers said it was canceled. Is that what happened? Am I hearing you right? Right. Well, Al Alton Robinson thinks he's an organizer of the uh, the whole thing, and he thinks he had the biggest uh, the protest in Windsor ever seen. Okay, Alton Robinson was just there at the at the right time. Okay, and he drew a permit for the last one. He's the guy who drew the permit. I went and had breakfast with him uh, two weeks. Well, the, the day after that protest, right? He said, "Oh, I gotta I gotta speak to you this and that," and he didn't want to do it over the telephone or Skype or any of that crap, right? So I went and had breakfast with him. And uh, it was just a bunch of freedom talk, right? Uh, and but he, what happens is a lot of people they, they get into the uh, the limelight, okay? When the oven starts to get a little warm, they want to jump out. Now, there's no half measures of avail when it comes to what you believe in. Yeah. Okay. Now everybody knows I'm a cannabis activist, and there's no half measures with this guy. It's it's all in or not, you know. So, you know, I, I'm just happy people showed up down there, okay. Uh, and they were using that fear, and I could tell by Alton's uh, text. What, what is it they're afraid of? Is it because of the the heightened emotions because of the Israel Palestine issue yes. combined with this? Now, is that what they're afraid of that it might escalate into something they can't manage? One hundred percent. Okay. Uh, and, and they don't want to be responsible of holding the buck at the end of the day, right? I get it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but like I said, Jamal or Kamal or Mohammed, they're not calling the shots for me. This is my country. If I want to protest, I'll protest. And I'll protest when we want to protest. Okay. Uh, and it's funny that I watched the Rebel News uh, last night at work. And like I said, I stayed there. I was only supposed to be there till 11. Somehow I ended up getting stuck there till 530 in the morning, right? Uh, but I watch a lot of shit, and I was watching uh, Menzies in Kitchener, and he was talking about how, uh, and he even showed it, the the anti-protesters that are there, the uh, LGBTQWXYZ movement, okay, was mixed and mingled in with the uh, the Palestinian thing, right? And, and Menzies brought up a great point that if you were in the Middle East and you were gay. You know what would happen to you? And they're like, no. Well, your head would be bucked off. Yeah. That's, so now you're it is, standing. It is true. You, you know, you're not going to find uh, that the tolerance there that you're finding here, not by a long shot when it comes to that issue. Right. And, and here's the mental illness issues for you with these people, right? They're trying to get hand in hand with these people. And it's like, really? You'd be, you'd be gone faster than a Jew. Okay. Well, I don't know. It's a toss-up between those guys, right? Uh, with, 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 with the Palestinians right now, right? But I get what's going on. Okay, I, I what's going on in Palestine and, and in Israel? This has been going on for a long time, uh, and it's going to keep going on for a long time. You know, the, the there's no peaceful solution to it. None, zero. I fear you may be right. Um, I can't stop hoping. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the reality is, is 
We got two people who want the same land. It doesn't matter where you divide it. There's going to be somebody who's going to be unhappy. Well, it's like me, Jenna. Me, you coming to buy a car off of me 20 years ago, okay? And you coming to me today saying, I want my car back. Well, it ain't your fucking car. I got a bill of sale. Right. Okay, you, you sold it. Okay, and, the, and that's what's going on here with the natives, too. Now, I get, you know, I sympathize with the natives. I do. I really do. This is their land. It was always their land. Uh, but I wasn't there when they were trading uh, uh, hundreds of acres for a bottle of whiskey. Right. Okay. None of us were. Right. And, and they got a bill of sale, and at, at the end of the day, you sold it. Now you want it back. It's not going to happen, right? Um but this is how these move, these uprisings happen, right? Uh, you know, when you have, what is it, uh, $100 million worth of aid sitting in Egypt right now trying to get into Gaza, okay, that food is rotting by the day. And that's not okay. Well, it's not. People got to eat. That's period. right. That's okay. right. There's no way of sounds or buts about that. You know, I could just imagine the horrors that are going on there. You know, I'm a pet lover, and you know damn well there ain't no dogs and cats in Gaza right now because they're all eaten. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay. we do know the trucks carrying aid have entered Gaza, and this is the first time that has happened since the war began. Supplies were driven into the Rafah border crossing with Egypt and transferred to Palestinian vehicles. Um, foreign nationals are hoping... They will be allowed to leave Gaza through the same crossing, but so far they're having difficulty with that. Israel's military is saying it plans to expand its operations. They're saying uh, expect escalation and uh, the expansion of those operations have been approved ahead of an anticipated ground incursion. Um, so what are we looking at here? What? I think, I think it's a big trap, Rick. Yeah. Okay. They're going to lure themselves. They're going to lure themselves and entrench themselves into Gaza, and then you got Ramallah in the West Bank. You got Syria and the Galang Heights with Lebanon, and all hell's going to break loose. Hopefully, they're not that stupid to take it. There's going to be a lot of uh, uh, when, when you're doing combat and you're going home to home. That's a whole different style of combat. Okay, you're not in the jungles of Vietnam. You're not on the. Uh, the front lines of Ukraine, you're going door to door now, apartment to apartment. This could be really dangerous. Well, we're hearing, I mean, we're hearing reports that Hamas is preventing people from leaving Gaza because they want them there, want the people there essentially to be used as human shields, if you will. Uh, I don't know how much stock to put in reports like that because there's so much propaganda you know, narrative spinning going on on both sides. It's it's a war, and information warfare is uh, today more important than ever. Well, it's not just information warfare. Uh, I, I've stated many times with a lot of different people, if you bomb my house and you kill my wife and kids and my dogs and everybody else, everybody that I know, and I'm the last man standing, <laughs> I'm coming for you, okay? There's going to be retaliation till the day I die for a thousand years. If I live to a thousand years, okay, this is the, the mentality. This is what's going to happen. Okay. And it's happening on both sides. Now you got the, the Jews the same way. Okay. In Israel, uh, 
that just ran in there. And I hear a lot of things, people, oh, well, the, uh, I, I'm not a, uh, Hamas, uh, uh, sympathizer whatsoever or Hezbollah or any of that crap, but they ran across the border on, uh, motorbikes and whatever, right? Uh, and they did their thing and they're just killing Jews. Well, they weren't just killing Jews. I seen, uh, last night there was five, uh, five people from, uh, Thailand that were murdered that were sent back to Thailand, their bodies, Canadians. It didn't matter. Okay, these guys just didn't matter. They crossed the border and they just started killing everybody, not just Israelis, right? Uh, but this has been going on too long. Okay, uh, and the Israelis could sit there and say, well, look what happened to us and, and play the victim. What have you been doing to the Palestinians? Okay, uh, the Lebanese, the Syrians, okay, uh, They've been lining them up on walls and killing them for years. So you're going to have these families that will never forget this, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and they're always going to be resentful. And this is what you get at the end of the day. Right. So right. how do we resolve? Like, I mean, how how do you see this ending? Like, honestly, I mean. I, I see this ending like this. As long as the U.S. Congress don't have a speaker, okay, in the House, there's no money going to Ukraine and there's no money going to Israel. Okay, so without money, yeah, you could run your war for only a period of time till you run out of bullets and missiles. And then uh, uh, either you start talking peace and if the other side don't want peace, it's game over. Right? Uh, Israel better be very careful because we've seen 400,000 troops in Ukraine disappear. 400,000 troops. The Israeli army's 400,000. Now, Americans sit there and say, well, we got our, our uh, ships in the uh, in the ocean uh, and our destroyers and uh, aircraft carriers and everything else. The Americans have not won a war since World War II. Every conflict that they got in, Korea, Vietnam, uh, Iraq, 20 years in Afghanistan, they never won shit. They probably would never never have won World War II if it wasn't for the Allied forces. We were there uh, 1940 is when the war started for us. The Americans didn't get involved in World War II till when? 40, 42, 43? Mm -hmm. And they came in as the big heroes at the end of the day. Well, like I said, they got their hands full. If you want to start picking apart, you got Syria, you got Lebanon, you got... Uh, you got you got them all right there, man. Yemen, uh, where Saudi Arabia sitting? You don't know what these people. All that I know is one thing: the price of gas by the barrel, oil right now is going to go over a hundred dollars. They're they're speculating, and when that happens, wow! Get your gas now. Right. Well, the uh, you know Hamas is committed to the ex extermination of Israel and with all these other Arab nations lining up, aligning against Israel, this is an extremely dangerous situation. Israel has been a thorn in, in the shoe of all uh, Muslim countries in the Middle East. The only Muslim, non-Muslim country in the Middle East is who? Israel. Okay. And it is what it is, Rick. I'm telling you, they called it on themselves. They should have been talking peace. 
like Canada, we we have native uprisings, uprisings like Oka. We had Oka, Iprawash, uh, Caledonia. Okay, we've had a few. They, nobody's getting killed at these things. Dudley George did. Okay. Uh, yeah. Iprawash. Okay, but we're not we're not talking about civil war in Canada here. There's always a, a, a peaceful diplomatic solution, and they're not going. Israel don't want to go there. Well, you don't want to go there, Israel. I don't know about that, Leo. I don't know about that. No, I, 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 I can't really agree with that. I don't think Israel wants to you go You go there. back and you look at the Oslo Accords and Hamas has rejected that and it goes back to 94 and there was a, you know, there was an Israeli who went in and slaughtered, I think it was 19 people, somewhere around 1920 Palestinians. That sparked a change at that time in the way that Hamas was dealing with this this conflict um you know they became very committed to terrorist tactics and and declared at that time that they would then pursue the the killing of israeli civilians and it's been that way ever since and all you have to do is look at what happened in the streets of toronto immediately following the Hamas attack on Israel, and what were the people in Toronto chanting? I think many of them not realizing what they were even saying. The uh -huh. chant was, not just there, but in other places, including in Dearborn, there is only one solution, intifada, revolution. That's because they are committed to the extermination of Israel. So if the United States does not ensure the security of Israel through funding for arms or just outright providing security for them on the front lines, if necessary, Israel, these Arab nations, Hamas, all of them, they will roll right over it and you will see the extermination of the Jewish people in that area. They will exterminate them. Make no mistake, they will wipe that place off the face of the planet and start all over again in the way that they want to make it. Say goodbye to Israel if the U.S. doesn't back them up. And they, they, there have been opportunities for more peace. And in fact, if you look at Israel today, about 20% of the population in Israel is Arabic. And of that, about 12, 13% is Muslim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they, you know, they have shown a willingness to open up their society, to bring people from the Arabic side into their into their communities. And many of them have been very successful. And there's some some moderate views there. But then when you, you start dealing with Hamas in Gaza, you're dealing with a very extreme perspective and very extreme ideology fueled by anger fueled by hate all dating back you know to the 1990s and before that even okay and yeah. with the creation of hamas but then the rat the further radicalization of it because of the hatred that has been injected into the movement because of the 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 violent actions of israel in gaza at the time so you know that's what i've said before Many times here, violence gets you more violence. Oh, 100%. It, it just breeds more. 
and, and now we're here. And so I don't know. Gene is quite right. Like, I mean, and you too. Like now I don't know if there is a peaceful solution because the hatred runs so deep that the, the, the desire for vengeance runs so deep that people can't put anything aside anymore. No. I like just the committed video. to the termination each side. Now. I like the I like the video you put up the other day about the uh, protest. It was either in Kitchener or Toronto or whatever, and it had that girl, and she was talking about how they uh, ha Hamas and uh, the Palestinians are peaceful people. But she had uh, she had on AK forty seven earrings. AK forty seven <laughs> earrings. And what did and she I say? She says that it. all of the actions of Hamas are justified because why? Because there's this narrative out there. Uh, that I keep hearing from a lot of other, I would say, left-wing uh, online influencers, podcasters, live streamers, that, you know, what you're looking at is a colonial, it's a colonization. It's the same narrative that we hear here about yeah. First Nations communities and how we've, we're occupying the land. But, you know, there's some pragmatism that has to come into play here at some point. Reality has to be dealt with, okay? You can virtue signal till you are blue in the face, but the reality is we're here and we're not going anywhere because we've got no place to go. Like, I can't, where am I going to go? I don't, I can't leave the country. Like, I don't have another home someplace. So I'm stuck here, whether I like it or not. And right. it's the same thing in Israel now. Israel exists, it is there. So you're just going to have to freaking deal with it. Now, how are we going to deal with it? It's either peacefully. Or through violence. Those seem to be the, the two choices. And it's very clear that where Hamas is concerned and the supporters of Hamas, and I think a lot of the people in in, in Gaza and a lot of the um, pseudo-intellectuals that I deal with on a fairly regular basis, they're committed to violence. And I'm not cool with that. But Me either, because this could happen... In Canada, just as fast, okay. Agreed. You see the you see the radicals that are out there and the numbers that they're getting. <laughs> okay, these people are like the I don't know the Trojan horse in Troy. Okay, we let them in, and without any vetting or anything, I and mean, we gave them the opportunity for a better life over here in Canada and live the way that we live. Yeah. Now, in a, in a New York second, they could switch back and go, oh yeah, bite the hand that feeds them. Right. And uh, next thing you know, we're in the middle of something over here that we don't want to be in. How would you how would yeah. you deal with that? Exterminate them. And that's the biggest concern, I think, because, I mean, at this point, it's not, we're talking about people's lives, whether they're in Canada or anywhere else. But I mean, you know, it could it could escalate. Um, you know, to exactly what you said, Mouth. And, and I mean, in the, in, you know, in the back of my head, it, I'm, I'm like screaming, no, I don't want to see that. And I don't want that. I don't want the world to go this way. But they're um, here, Jenna. They're here. That's the thing. Right. That's, okay. And, and, yeah. and they're here for a reason. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the reason. Okay. Well, uh, to, to try and backdoor America. No, didn't they come here? I, you know, I mean, I know personally, I, I do know a lot of Muslims and Sikh families um, go way back. And so, um, you know, many of them have been born now into Canada, like the ones that are around now. Um, right. it was when we were going to school when they were coming in. And so, you know, yes, of course, we still got some people coming in. However, 
Um, I think a lot of the people that are here now have all been born here, except for the new ones that have just recently come over. Now, they've come over because they want to get away from the war. They've, they've come over because they want to get away from the violence. And now the war has come here. And that's where the concern is, is what are we going to do if, like, I mean, it's one thing for it to happen over there. and We, you know, we can, we can speak our minds and our hearts and all of that. Well, we don't really have a say on what happens over there. But as Canadians, where do we stand and how do we prevent it from getting violent? How do we prevent? Because the reality is, is you're right. Like as far as families and everything else goes, um, you know, somebody may have watched their family members be slaughtered by the other side. And that's just terrifying and horrific well, let's and watch so this uh, let's watch this clip from rebel news here this is the one that leo yeah. was referring to and here's the lady with the ak-47 earring this is not a terrorist group oh, it isn't, man. first of all hamas is not okay. a terrorist group what is it like a motorcycle a club or it is a resistance that has been fuming for 75 years of colonialism, of occupation, of murder, of rape, of little children, of women. That's what they are. They are a resistance. Do you think Canada is everything, a colonialist country too? Everything that they do is justified. Including what happened thing. last week? Every single thing they have done is justified. Oh, Ma'am, there were children murdered. There were babies beheaded. Oh. Babies beheaded, really? Please educate yourself. Please, Please check the news because as as a news reporter you got to check the fucking news because they said that that shit was fake okay multiple times different channels different even Biden himself his his ministers and his idiots said himself that that news was fake so, there's no 40 behead, beheaded babies and there you are no 1300 deaths in no Israel evidence. there's no evidence there's no photos whatsoever Hamas is a muslim a Muslim group, they would never do that because it's against Islam. That's number one. And that's something that they show. Do you really believe that? There is evidence of Israeli women saying that they gave us water, they gave us food, they gave us a, a place to, to, to sleep comfortably. They gave us clothes. They got them to cover up out of respect. This is actual women having interviews, talking about when they were hostages or when they were taking in, sorry, when, when Hamas members were, were coming into their house. These are actual Israeli women saying this is how they were. Even at some point, a Hamas fighter told, told one of the women, can I have a banana to eat? He asked if he could eat, eat a banana that was in her home. Does that sound like a fucking terrorist to you? Uh, you know, I got a lot to say about that. And by the sounds of her, she was probably born here in Canada. Now, radicalization happens, okay, uh, and these people are getting radicalized here in Canada and North America, period. Okay, uh, you can say what you want to say about second, third, uh, fourth generations. It all starts in the family home. I grew up in a home, okay, uh, to me, it wasn't, uh, it was normal. It wasn't a dysfunctional home. Yeah, my brothers robbed banks. Uh, they sold drugs. Uh, they did what they did, right? Uh my dad uh, would abuse my mother, okay? Uh, he'd punch my brothers out. He never put hands on me, so uh, racism, <laughs> the N-word in my house growing up, okay? They were the bad people at the time for us. 
because we lived in the projects and on one side of the block was black people and on our side was white. It was like South Africa, okay, where just one street divided us, right? Uh, for me to get away from all that, okay, uh, it, w it was tough for me, really tough for me. You know, today I got uh, yeah, integration with uh, throughout our family with black people. Okay, so that N-word's never, never saying in my house. Okay, there's none of that. Uh, my, my godson's uh, half black, half white, right? So uh, I just look back at the times, and a lot of this is bred throughout their family with radicalization. No different racism. Okay, uh, uh, once upon a time, uh, you know, we were damn near KKK when you looked at it, right? Uh, uh, my, I had a friend sleep over. He was a black guy, and I felt so sorry for him, James Campbell. I still talk to him today. We're good friends, right? And you'll never forget the day that he slept over at my house. It was like coming to the KKK party, right? Uh, and my dad with the N-word, and his, my uncles with the N-word, my brother with the N-words, and this and that, right? He was in fear for his life. He said he, he, said he slept with two eyes open that night. He didn't get any sleep at all. Right. Uh, and I, I love James. He saved my life. Right. Uh, uh, he's a black man and he saved my life. I almost got hit by a train and uh, he pulled me off the tracks before uh, the train hit me because I wasn't looking behind. Right. And uh, we're in the train yard uh, walking home and uh, yeah, I almost got smoked by a train. He saved me. Right. So I love James Campbell. Uh, you know, it's just the color of our skin. Right. Uh, That's right. And, and, and the religious the religious aspect of what's going on in the Middle East, like I said, it's been going on forever. Rick, it's going to go on for another thousand years. And you can see, well, that their MC posts like this on Twitter. And this is highlighting, I think, some, some people who are maybe a little on the naive side. 100%. Not naive. They're brainwashed. Not true. Okay, now, yeah. you go to these... You know, why do we have secular things going on in Canada? Okay, I, the, I, I don't get it. You have the uh, shit where me and Anesty live. I can spit to Anesty's house. We crossed the Comfy Road, and St. Clair, which was a Catholic school, was bought out by the Muslims, so now it's a Muslim school. That's only probably 500 feet, 600 feet from my house. And then across the street, they have the... Islam, uh, whatever in the hell they call it, I call it the terrorist training camp. We've been calling it that forever, okay? And these people, they go there, they, uh, it's heavily secured, and they got their own, it's, it's like, I don't know, the private armies, okay? Uh, the Calistanians, I think they are, that's the East Indian thing that was going on. Yep. Yeah, the I could show yeah. you, Jenna, I could show, show you a place up Stave Lake Road outside a mission on your way to Cascade Falls, and I was driving my jeep and my brother said you got to check this shit out so we stopped okay i was a reservist and i've been on firing uh, ranges uh plenty of times just in uh, after you're done you pick up your uh your spent ammo right your casings okay and you, and you bring them back and they're recycled right i was standing in a spot where i could have took a shovel okay and there was that many casings going on on the ground yeah. It was it was a sea of it was a sea of brass everywhere, and I know the difference between a seven point six two millimeter and a five point six five millimeter uh, shells. Okay, Spence, these were military grade weapons they were firing. Now, after I left uh, BC, and a couple years later, I heard that 
there were terrorists that were training in BC. Well, what do you know? I think that's one of the spots they were training at, right? Uh, hard to say. It, well, yeah. I grew up in the valley, and you know, I mean, I'm not kidding you. I mean, it didn't matter where you go down in the bush area. There's people people do shooting all the time so i don't know i mean it's i've i've gone into areas and went you know looks like a world war just went through here and it was just people who had just been shooting and taking practice so i don't so, know so what you're looking at here is a picture of the president of the detroit synagogue um what's the name of it it's um the oh my goodness her name is Samantha Wolf, and it's the the Isaac Agree Downtown Synagogue. She was stabbed to death today in Detroit. In Detroit, Detroit police responded to an emergency call um, around six thirty a.m. They found her body outside a home on Joliet Place, and. Uh, they say that the motive is not immediately clear. They're investigating, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. president of the synagogue, emotions running the way that they are right now. The massive protests that we've seen in that area, and the you know with the Dearborn community, um, the calls on the street during those protests, those pro-Palestinian protests, pro-Hamas protests, again chanting. There is only one solution, Intifada revolution. Now she's dead. So you put two and two together. I can't say for sure, but of course, your mind races right to that conclusion, right? right. That this has to be related in some way. Yeah. Well, if it, if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Okay. Uh, if you look at where she's situated in, in Detroit, Michigan, uh, if you take the bridge, Okay, uh, not the tunnel. Downtown will bring you uh, downtown. Bring you to downtown. You take the bridge from Windsor to Dearborn Heights. Okay, so as you cross the bridge, you're in Southwest Detroit. You go a little bit farther, four, four or five kilometers. You're in Dearborn Heights. Just in Dearborn Heights alone. Okay, our city of Windsor is two hundred and fifty thousand people per se population. There's two hundred and fifty thousand Muslims just in Dearborn Heights alone. Okay, that's, we, they call it the Baghdad of North America, right? Uh, uh, it's everybody, the Iraqis, the Saudis, the Palestinians. Yeah, in fact, what's that guy's name? David Michael Lynch, is it? I don't know if I'm getting his name right. He did a, he produced a documentary that focused a lot on Dearborn um, and the immigration issue, right? Um very conservative. He's been banned on a lot of social media platforms. Dennis or Dennis, Dennis Michael Lynch. I think that's his name. It, it, it's, it brings back to the racism days. Like I said, one side of the street was black, one side was white. Okay. And that's exactly what's going on in Detroit. If you cross over, uh, uh, cross over the, the highway, one side's Arab, the other side's black. Keep crossing, one side's white, right? So uh, as strong as America wants to say that they're free and equal and everything else, they're not. And what happens is people come to the communities uh, 
okay, and uh, they stick with their own kind. They don't mix and mingle or get into the melting pot or any of that crap, right? Uh, and, you know, for me to go walk around Dearborn Heights probably wouldn't be a good idea just because of the color of my skin. Right, but the, I, I, I have I, I've been to Dearborn a lot. I've never had any trouble recently, but, you know, but not recently. Not recently. Okay? You know, maybe if well, I haven't been there since the pandemic. I haven't crossed the border since the pandemic, where I used to go over all the time. But e you know, e before the pandemic, I never had any issues. But yeah, I mean, it's obviously a Muslim community. Well, you, you see, what, what happens is okay, and, and you look at. Uh, Areas in Windsor to uh, Wyandotte Street East between, uh, well, Oled Avenue down to almost Walkerville uh, is like Palestine. Okay. And they're slowly moving their way up. If Erie Street was uh, Italian, more Italian than anything, right? Now it's not. Okay. There's more uh, Arab restaurants and everything else. So they're moving their way, right? Uh, and they're taking over slowly, right? Uh, neighborhoods. Like my neighborhood. Uh, well, for better neighborhood. or for worse. I mean, the country is changing because the demographics have changed. Oh, no, yeah. Because I'm, of immigration. It's just the way I'm, it is now. So I'm not against it. Have, right? yeah. I'm not against it. I know a lot of good Arab people. Like I said, I grew up in this town uh, before there were Arab people here. Okay. When they first started coming. Same thing with the, uh, uh, when I went to WD Low, we were the only school in the city that had uh, ESL, English as a second language. Mm -hmm. Now, in the early 80s, the boat people came from Laos, Thailand, Cambodia, and Vietnam. Okay, uh, and they were integrated into the English program through our high school, even though they couldn't speak any English. But I became friends with a lot of Southeast Asian people, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, they're great people. I still talk to a lot of them today, right? And they're like, oh, yeah. Leo, you're the best. Right. I never let anybody pick on them because the racism was pretty high back in the day. Right. Uh, and I can't stand bullies. Uh, I got I made some of I'll tell you some of the best Asian buddies you could ever imagine. Right. Uh, because I, let, I didn't let anybody pick on them in high school because How of the, the color same? of their skin or they couldn't yeah. speak English properly. Right. Now, uh, here's here's Mark Levin. Obviously, very conservative guy. Right. Um and this is his take on it. Let's listen to him and we'll get you to comment. With all the billions that have poured into these territories, the Gaza Strip and the so-called Palestinian territories, why are the people still suffering? Why are there still so many refugees? Because they want to blame the Jews and they want to blame Israel. Their bigger picture is, their long-term, if not short-term goal is to blow the Jews out to obliterate them. We haven't spoken since the uh, since the attack on the Jews in Israel. I'm calling this the second Holocaust. People make references to the Holocaust. I understand six million Jews are not being slaughtered, but they want to slaughter seven million Jews. That's the whole point of this. And the atrocities are just unspeakable. The inhumanity is unspeakable. And I know for sure that most of you watching this show aren't Jewish. But you know what happened in World War II when this country was attacked. And I want to remind you what Eisenhower, Patton, Omar Bradley, and they took a tour, I think it was of Auschwitz, 
after it was liberated, Eisenhower said, my God, I didn't realize there was so much evil in the world. That man had seen everything. A couple of the generals were stoic, but were crying with the tears rolling down their cheeks. The ovens, the mass graves, the people that they liberated, grown men who were 75 pounds, 80 pounds, not a piece of fat on their body, not a muscle, all skin and bones, ready to die. The brutalization of the children and the women, the uh, unspeakable things that have taken place or took place. You probably saw the black and white films after the fact. And I have really been the only conservative voice in America now for years that have pointed out that our media covered this up. It's a full chapter in Unfreedom of the Press. What the New York Times did is unspeakable. They were informed about what was taking place, but they wouldn't report it for several reasons, but including the fact that Franklin Roosevelt didn't want all the information to get out. The foreign press, particularly the British, couldn't believe it. And I predict, and it's already happening, that the American press will start to turn on the Jews once they defend themselves, because Netanyahu is not going to let this stand. He is not going to let this stand. And all parties in Israel are united to blow out Hamas, except, of course, the Arab parties, which are still part of the government in the Knesset, just so you know. How many of you have heard of Amin al-Husani? Probably none of you. Because these short history lessons you're getting on TV really aren't history lessons. He was the Palestinian Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. I've talked about this on my radio several times, my radio show. He was sort of the iconic figure to Arafat. And uh, his terrorism really is the foundation for the terrorism that we see today. You know, the Jews have lived in Judea, Samaria, what we now call Israel, for 4,000 years. It's in the Bible. Palestinians are not in the Bible for a reason. They weren't there. And even today, despite the fact that I mention it on this platform, on radio, on Fox, everywhere I go, there's no such thing as the West Bank. The West Bank, the West Bank of Jordan, Jordan captured Judea and Samaria in the 1948 war to try and destroy the Jews and push them out of what we now call Israel. So this so-called West Bank goes back to 1948. It's propaganda that's been used by the Arabs and the Jordanians. But you can check out your Bible. It's called Judea and Samaria. And the reason Judea and Jew sound familiar is because that's where Judaism began. You should look up the town of Shiloh, which existed long before Jerusalem, as did the city of David. The history is remarkable, the ancient history. So these little snippets of history you're getting start with 1948, or maybe a few decades earlier. That's not the history of the region. That's not the history of the Jewish people, which extends much further back 
So they are the only indigenous peoples who are not recognized as indigenous peoples. By many of the same Marxist movements in the United States and throughout the world who attack, quote unquote, white people for conquering all sorts of people. Amin al-Husani, the Palestinian Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, met with Adolf Hitler and met with his lieutenants and generals often. And he offered to help the Third Reich slaughter Jews in the Middle East. And he contributed 5,000 men to the Third Reich Army. And uh, notice those, that name, those words have never been said on TV. They're not said on TV now, except by me on Fox the other day. And yet, everybody keeps using the West Bank, ignoring who this man was, the history of the so-called Palestinian people, who were never the Palestinian people, they're Arabs. So they called themselves the Palestinian people because it sounds like Palestine, like they've always been in Palestine. That is what today is mostly considered Israel proper. But this is a bigger issue. How many Christians remain in Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus? Not that long ago, Bethlehem was a majority Christian. It's now part of the quote-unquote Palestinian Authority territories. The Christian birthplace of Jesus. How did that become Palestinian territory? Christians used to represent about 68% of the population in Bethlehem. Now, so-called Palestinians represent 68% of the population in Bethlehem. You look at Jericho. Jericho is 100% controlled now by the Palestinian Authority. Jericho's in the Bible too, isn't it? Who used to live in Jericho? The Jews, and later the Christians and the Jews. There aren't any more Jews there and there aren't any more Christians there. You can look all over this area and see what's taking place. In the elementary schools, really, the nursery schools and beyond, the Palestinians are taught that Jews are not human beings. They're taught that they kill, dismember, and cannibalize Palestinian babies and so forth. The most horrendous kind of indoctrination and propaganda at the earliest ages. And what are these groups? Hamas is the Muslim Brotherhood, the Muslim Brotherhood. What's the Muslim Brotherhood? It was given birth in Egypt. The Muslim Brotherhood supported the attack on the United States on 9-11. In fact, they were involved in it. The Muslim Brotherhood assassinated Sadat because he was a tremendous statesman. He and Began of Israel, the prime minister, had this historic peace deal where the Jews gave the Sinai Peninsula back to the Egyptians after they captured it and uh, other areas back and they've had uh, relations ever since. Not that they're best buddies, but they're very close on intelligence and so forth because they have a common enemy in Iran. And Egypt is not, at this point, a military threat of any kind to, uh, to Israel. And the Muslim Brotherhood actually elected a president over there who started rounding up Christians, who Obama supported, and Sisi, who was 
a top military general, overthrew him. And thank God he did. And again, Obama, Biden, and the Democrat Party in our country objected. Pretty sick. So Al Husseini was a Nazi. So I give you the very slightest of context so you can understand what's taking place here. The Hamas terrorists are quote-unquote Palestinian, and the Palestinian Authority, Abbas, has been the dictator there, really, almost forever, Palestinian as well. With all the billions that have poured into these territories, the Gaza Strip and the so-called Palestinian territories, why are the people still suffering? Why are there still so many refugees? Because they want to blame the Jews and they want to blame Israel. Their bigger picture is, their long-term, if not short-term goal is to blow the Jews out, to obliterate them, to mass kill them, genocide. That's their objective. That's why you see the atrocities today. But the truth is Abbas is a very, very wealthy man. He has vacation homes all over the Middle East and all over the world. He controls every penny that comes in there. They run it like the mob. They divide their economy into sectors. He puts family members in charge of the sectors or his closest friends or political allies in charge of the sectors. And they rule over the economy and they rule over these towns like butchers, brutal. And as long as they can keep indoctrinating and brainwashing the children who become, in many cases, terrorists, and focus their fire on the Jews in Israel, they can continue to line their pockets as long as they can keep refugees, Palestinian refugees, in the situation they live in. They can, they can use the UN, the European Union, Democrat Party in our own country to keep funneling hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to that corrupt regime, which enriches itself. In the case of Hamas, Hamas is a branch of one of the most vicious terrorist organizations on the face of the earth. And that terrorist organization has killed many Americans, has committed many acts of terrorism against Americans. And now they have joined with Iran, or Iran has basically funneled enormous resources into Hamas. They say into the Gaza, the Gaza Strip, it's into Hamas. And Hamas has been turned into a militia wing of the Iranian Republican Guard. And 70% of that economy over there is now funded by Iran, so they own it. <laughs> He's correct. He's correct, Rick. Like I said, it's it comes down it's gonna come down to a race war. Now, if it's a world war and they say, Hey Leo, you're uh conscripted, there's a draft, you're going to to war, what side are you gonna fight on? Obviously I'm fighting on the white side because uh as soon as the, the Arabs get rid of the, the Jews, who are they coming after next? Right? It's, it's a race. It's going to be a race war. And I could see it happening, right? Sad. Very sad. But he's right, man. I'll tell you. He hit, he hit it spot on, especially on the, 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 the part where the Palestinians are Arabs. Why aren't the Arab countries taking in the Palestinians? Why is Egypt not letting the Palestinians back into Egypt or Jordan or anybody? They want to use them as a tool. And they're using them as a tool. And they're going to get caught. They're caught in the middle right now. Imagine being there. Not a very small place. If you look at the size of that map, 
Israel's <laughs> Israel's tiny. From here to London, Rick, what is it, an hour and a half, two hour drive? From here to London, it's probably from one end of Israel to the other. Gaza is only 10 miles or 20 miles, 20 miles long from one end of where Israel is to Egypt, 20 miles. You got 2 million people in that area or 2.5 million people in that area. But you see all over the world, there's probably 50 million Palestinians all over the world. Every country has a big Palestinian population. How in the hell can a country that size have a bigger population than Canada? It's only 20 miles long. Now, I've, I've worked this out in my mind already because some of this stuff doesn't seem to make sense ideologically. For instance, and this is an important point and question, why this time around are we seeing people on the political left aligning with Arab nations, Palestinians, Hamas, who want to exterminate Jewish people? Why is that happening? Why have they embraced this? Really, at a, you know, they're aligning themselves with groups who have been out in the streets around the world in places like even Australia, where they have been openly displaying anti-Semitic views, openly displaying even ideology that is not just fascist, but outright Nazi in, in many places around the world on full display in Australia. Huh. Um, and yet you, you have these woke left-wing Marxist ideologues who have been really largely in the streets previously protesting with BLM, Antifa, and the like, and now aligning themselves with these fascistic, very Nazi-like groups who are advocating for the extermination of the Jews, basically. Now, I've got to, I've, I understand it, but this is why I've been saying for a long time on this show, you, you, these, these ideas that people have in their head about what a Nazi is, it's a cliche formulated through what's being taught in school and then Hollywood movies. People think a Nazi is a, is a, is a bad dude in a Nazi uniform with a swastika, right? But that Nazism is not just that. And it isn't even just about the Jews. It's about ideology. It's about blaming. And I'm seeing this rise of anti-Semitism in our society, but it isn't really just a pure anti-Semitism. This is going to blow your mind if you really think about it. It isn't just that. It's about the oppressed versus the oppressor. It's the, the fascists and even the communists back in World War II, whether it was Stalin or Hitler, neither side really gave a damn about the Jews. Hitler obviously used them as a scapegoat, tried to exterminate them. Stalin didn't really care much for them either. Why? Because ideologically, he didn't like the Jews because 
they were the money changers. They portrayed as the rich. They can, and they are the people that, you know, through fallacy and maybe to some creed, some, some truth, grains of truth woven through. There's the Rothschilds. It's the, it's the, the, they control the banks. They control the media. That's the narrative that they spin. And they are therefore the rich. They are the oppressors. So if you believe in a, in a, in a socialist ideology, the oppressed versus the oppressors, well, then the, the people doing the most oppressing are the people who control the world banks and control the money and, and the corporations. This is, is why today you're seeing the people on the, on the left, especially the woke left, aligning themselves, I think, unwittingly with fascistic ideology, not actual Nazi ideology, which is racially motivated, but not in a pure sense, because here's the thing. And you're seeing this all through the freedom movement, which is beyond concerning for me, because the word elite keeps coming up. And in the narrative that I keep hearing over and over again from people like Stu Peters, Kanye West, and many others in that in that sphere, the word elite, they are slowly doing a pivot where elite is being interchanged with Jew. That's why. And so when these guys unleash their 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 ideology and, and they, they really get momentum going here. This is what they've been working toward. And there are people here in Canada doing the same thing. It's that word elite. You keep, I keep hearing it over and over again. And, you know, in the minds of people, to me, when I first started hearing this, this word game, it really is what they're playing, which is what Marxists do and fascists like Nazis as well. They play these word games. When Nazism comes back, it's not that the Nazi you need to worry about, honestly, folks, is not the 98-year-old dude that they found in the House of Commons, okay? The ones you really need to worry about are the, the new Nazis today, the new people spinning narratives, twisting words, cloaking themselves, hiding behind language, using words like elite, which is soon to be interchanged with Jew. Substituted honestly, once they come out of the the shadows and tell you what they really mean, it's the Jews, the elite. Now, not everybody using that word means it because they don't fully understand what the hell is really going on. But that honestly is what is at the core of of this anti-Semitic movement within North America, and I think even beyond that. This is how they're pulling people into this neo-fascistic ideology, anti-Semitic ideology, and they are blaming the Jews and they've just been waiting for this moment and they won't shed one damn tear if those Arab nations that they are aligning themselves with steamroller over Israel and kill every last Jew over there in the Middle East. I swear to God that's what's going on and mm -hmm. it's damn dangerous. That's why when I did that whole expose on Stu Peters, it's all laid out right in there. Just listen to the way that guy talks. He doesn't even hide it very much anymore. And there are other people who I'm very reluctant to, to name here on this program tonight, but people who are very familiar to all of us within the freedom movement who are using this exact same kind of language very intentionally 
And those are the guys we really need to be worried about because those are the new breed of Nazis out there. And they are they are glomming onto this and exploiting it. Make no mistake. If they can use this in some way to propel themselves politically and, and achieve their objectives here in North America, they will do that. And what you're dealing with there is a combination really of, well, it's, it's this new alliance that has formed between these neo it's dangerous Marxist and, and the fascists on this side. And then you've, I mean, and then you've got the whole other breed, right? Which are the, the globalists, which are the, I call them communo fascists because they've combined as well. It's just two different kind of strains of the same goddamn cancer which is why I've always been personally opposed to communism and fascism because they're both authoritarian. They are both rooted in socialism. And it's this mentality where they get down right to the, to the, to the lowest common denominator. They think of everything in terms of black and white, good and evil, oppressed versus the oppressor. Hitler did it in his own way. Stalin did it in his own way. And it's manifesting itself again today and it's so damn dangerous because as much as people think that you know like look at the reaction to the to the public in canada to yuroslav hunka in in the in the in the in the in parliament people were appalled because they find fascism and nazism in canada to be repulsive canada is not a nazi nation it is not i don't I, when I, I, it's just not there. We do have some neo-fascistic Nazis in our society who are there poised, ready to take advantage of a rise in anti-Semitism. No question about it. But my God, this if, is if, so damn dangerous because you know who really has been given a pass in Canada is those, those woke cultural Marxists who represent a strain of communism within our society, and they are also incredibly anti-Semitic. And you can find that in history just by looking at the way this, the old Soviet Union, I'm not talking about Vladimir Putin today or the way Russia is today. I'm talking about this little known fact that even today, the number of Jews who were killed in those former Soviet bloc countries is still not really known today because it was downplayed by Stalin. It was downplayed and hidden from the public. So that we don't even know because he didn't give a damn about the Jews. Honestly, he, he treated that like it was like nothing, nothing unusual or everybody that died in world war II on the Russian side, even if they were Russian Jews, they were all treated kind of the same to him. And, be, and because so many people in the former Soviet bloc took, play, took part in turning in their neighbors in order to save their own ass and allowed the Nazis to kill a lot of these Jews, and they participated in it be out of fear and coercion, just like we saw during the pandemic with people calling on to snitch on their neighbors. Yeah. Okay, this is yeah, the same damn idea. thing. And it's because of these authoritarian ideologies. Now, I have friends who are communists, but I swear to God, these the, the, the communists that I'm friends with don't subscribe to that strain of it. But it is there. And it's that authoritarian 
ideology that's that's reemerging again and and it's kind of hidden and cloaked and and it's hidden because of the the play on words that we know that especially the marxists are very very good at we see it in everything and our government is very good at it too what is planned parenthood it's a goddamn abortion clinic okay yes. that's yeah. what it is so yes. they flip everything upside down so yeah. when they're sitting there telling you that it's the elite you be damn careful, all you freedom fighters out there, because that's the other thing. Who the hell is a goddamn freedom fighter? Go check your history book. How often have communist Marxist movements around the world, revolutions, made use of freedom fighters? You all think you're fighting for individual rights and freedoms and personal liberty? Well, I've got news for you. Some people are inside that movement, and they're manipulating things to, to encourage you to get out there and be a freedom fighter like Che Guevara style, man. And that ain't what I'm in it for. But some people clearly are because they've been manipulated. They're being channeled and they don't even understand it because a lot of the people, like most people, just don't get into politics to, this, to the level where they fully understand but it sure sounds pretty attractive when you're hearing, I'm the oppressed and I need to, to, to deal with that oppressor up there, the big corporation. And when they're telling you that your whole country doesn't even exist, that it's just a corporation, it's not even real, and they're lying to you about that, that's where it all starts, right there with that. They say, it's just a corporation. Oh, well, if it's just a corporation then they, I don't even have to follow the rules. Once they plant that little seed in people's heads, they've got them and they start sucking them down into that rabbit hole. And a lot of this, a lot of this is where that anti-Semitism awaits them. And they are indoctrinated into it with, with cloaked language because I've learned a long time ago that these Marxists on that side of the, the, the political spectrum I learned it at a very young age. They misrepresent themselves. They deceive. They do not tell you what they really are. They use, they, 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 they'll give themselves a different title. They won't tell you that they're a communist in that strain. They won't even use the word because they know it will scare people off. It's scary as hell, Leo. It's scary as hell, Gina. I'm so worried about it because I can see it plain as day. And I hear the language. And in some cases, with people like Stu Peters, they're barely even hiding it anymore. And there are people here in Canada who are part of an entire movement as well. Now, you could say that they are fascistic. But I'll tell you right now, it's the, once you, you inject the, 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 the dovetailing of, these, of, of the authoritarianism and the, the beliefs, it's about the beliefs and what they actually stand for. There's very little difference between these fascistic neo-nazis and these neo-marxists who are woke so it's yeah. they're different strains of it and but it doesn't take much to just just take that little jump over here and suddenly now you've got a bunch of neoliberals neo woke liberal types who automatically default to this simplistic thinking black and white good versus evil, oppressed versus oppressor. And as soon as they see a conflict like that, they just run right to the side that they believe is the side that is being oppressed so that they can defend them so they can virtue signal. And automatically now what they've done is unwittingly because they're too stupid to understand what they've done. They've aligned themselves with a fascistic 
anti-Semitic movement that is hell-bent on the extermination, the genocide of the Jewish people, which is exactly what Hitler wanted to do in World War freaking two. If Israel is steamrolled, okay, it's going to happen over here. Damn right. It's coming right here. It's here right now. It's in the streets. It's here now. It's here so, right now. That's so, why they were standing in the streets just a few nights ago as a huge crowd chanting, there is only one solution, Intifada revolution. Do you want that here? There have been two Intifadas in Israel, two of them. Yeah, it's, it's and that now. means they want to exterminate the Jews. Also, that other chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. What the hell do you think that means? When they want to wipe them off the face of the planet. When they're done with the Jews, they're going to come with the war sympathizers. And guess what? Even though we didn't want to put taxpayers' money towards any of this crap, we did. So we are the sympathizers to the cause. We're an enemy of Allah. Okay, I, I get it. Uh, I get my news from a lot of different places now, uh, Rick, not just Maverick News, but I watch Al Jahari, uh, Weon, Australian News, okay, I, I, and what, what I, even WikiLeaks, or uh, WikiLeaks uh, uh, Live Leaks, I don't like going there, yeah. okay, at all. Uh, YouTube actually had something uh, I watched the other day, it was pretty graphic, okay, and it was live uh, uh, surveillance cameras of people's houses of what went down there in Israel. Okay, and it was people, it was pretty gruesome. People getting shot, uh, torched, uh, hand grenade through the door. Uh, it was just fucking brutal what I, what I seen. Okay. Uh, okay, I didn't see any babies getting killed, uh, but they didn't have to go there with that news story. Okay, didn't have to. All they had to do was just release the live footages of uh, home cameras, security cameras. Okay, and what I seen was not cool at all. Not fucking cool at all. Uh, so, you know, it's here, and it's going to be here for a while. What I don't get is you see all these guys, they're all protesting. Kettle them in, round them up, and get them the fuck out of here before it explodes over here in Canada or in North America. But no, they'll let them in the streets with their magnophone, uh, microphones when it's illegal. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, uh, but uh, they'll be given a chance. Okay, uh, They could bum rush... Uh, the uh, uh, the Capitol building, okay, and nothing's going to be done about it. It's, it They're it's, afraid of them. They're damn yes. afraid of them is what they That's are. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, and they're like dogs, okay. Uh, uh, once, you, once the dog's afraid of you, or once you're afraid of the dog, the dog senses that, okay, and the dog's going to play games with you for the rest of that dog's life. And, you know, they, they're they in the streets. They, they say they want peace like that woman with the AK-47 yeah. machine gun earrings. No, they don't want peace. That's why I ran that video from Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's quite right. Those protesters, they're not peace protesters. They're pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas protesters outside that Capitol building and inside it. That's the truth. You know, I'm all about peace. I do want peace. You know, and I would like to see a ceasefire as well if it leads to peace. But at the same time, I also am not naive. So I understand that you have to provide security for Israel. Otherwise, all these other Arab countries will just wipe them away. After and watching after watching live leaks, okay, and I don't like going there. That's sort of like uh, crazy shit on live leaks, right? Uh, but I got a lot of time on my hands, right? So I watch a lot of crazy shit. 
uh, I was thinking to myself, okay, you know how the liberals uh, want to take away guns? Don't give them up, folks, because guess what? If the Israelis would have been armed like they are in the United States of America, that fucking shit wouldn't have lasted very long. Okay? It wouldn't have lasted very long because you could defend yourself. So if you have arms, I'm not saying bear arms, walk down the street bearing arms, but you better have some sort of protection very close to you because if the shit hits the fan, I'm not going out like them Jews. Period. Some of my best friends are gun owners, gun store owners. Uh, uh, the firing range right over here, okay? Uh, so if the shit ever hits the fan, I got something very close. I'm not allowed to have weapons, by the way. Uh, so the RCMP and CSIS and everybody that are watching this show tonight, I got a weapons ban for life over cannabis. But I'll tell you what, I will protect myself when the shit hits the fan. Period. And it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Well, yeah. I mean, we've, we've got to really think about, you know, what we're doing. I mean, I know that right now, as far as the gun grabs go, they've kind of backed off a little bit and now they're going after the ammunition. So um, they don't want the, they don't want any more lead ammunition um, in Canada. And so this is, this is kind of the new fight that they're, because they've realized like the people in Alberta are just saying, uh, you're not having our guns. You're just not. And not you know, after Pardon? How can they how can they come after your guns, Jenna? When after what I just seen on uh, YouTube, WikiLeaks, Al Zahira, Weon, and all the Australian news. Okay, do you feel safe? Do you really actually nope. think that the government's going to be able to protect you in a scenario no, like that? Absolutely not. And I don't think that I, I really don't think that they have a right to be taking our guns away. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I think everybody should have a gun. Um, you know, I mean, the bottom line is, is, you know, I mean, when push comes to shove, um, when you think about wars, you know, um, why was, you know, why were certain, you know, areas attacked and others weren't? Well, in some war cases, they said because the people were armed, you know, in the main country. So, you know, we go over here because of that. Right. You know, so. It is, you know, I mean, the reality is, is if we give up what we have, we will never, ever get it back. I mean, I realize that there's lots of people out there who are making their own and they're creating, like I've seen some pretty impressive, um, you know, handmade um, weapons. And I don't believe the government would ever, like will ever, I mean, they're only going to be able to take it or take the guns away from the innocent and the good people that the rest of the people are all still going to have guns. And, you know, that's just the bottom line, right? You know, I mean, we all know this, right? So, you know, I mean, if we're, if we're going to roll over and, you know, allow them to, you know, to take that away from us, then we might as well just, you know, give them everything in our house because we ain't going to have nothing left because somebody's going to come along and take it away. You know, I mean, somebody comes to me and comes to my door and they've got a gun pointed at my head and they say they want all your food. They want, you know, I'm going to shoot you or, you know, you're going to give me all your food. What am I going to do? Uh, well, you know, I mean, um, I'm not going to give them my food. How about that? Well, and exactly. You know, and and whatever that means for me, I don't know, but I'm not going to roll over and I'm not going to let anybody take take what I have really, really strategically worked to try to build. And so I'm I'm not going to play their game. Just like, you know, saying no with everything else. You know, we have a right. We, we, and we, we just got to stand our ground and say no, you know, so no, no matter what. 
the woke society could give up their arms. Okay. Exactly. Feel, feel free. Have fun. At the end of the day, uh, don't get caught in rain without a raincoat because it's going to shower. Okay. When it does shower and the, the showering starts, there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of people, man, that are going to regret a lot of things. Okay. And like you've seen it today, uh, uh, Daisy, you're showing the video about Daisy in, in Ottawa. Okay. Uh, the police are protecting the, uh, uh, the LGBTQWXYZ and all those that movement uh, with their magna, magnaphones and everything else, but nobody. Uh, if you were to wear make a Canada great again hat and you had the meg uh, the megaphone, they charge you. Exactly. So these guys are getting get, getting away with whatever they want to do, right? And same yep. thing with this. Okay, here you go. They call this racist, uh, uh, misogynist, expialidocious, everything under the book. Okay, Nazis. Terrorists, they call this terrorists, the government. Okay, but now you have a real fucking terrorist organization that's uprising, and what are you doing about it? You're not freezing people, protecting them. You ain't doing shit because they're afraid. Like Rick said, they're afraid. Mm-hmm. Okay, these these people got the uh, the government's ticket, and it's like yeah. wow. And look uh, at this. I mean, this this post here. This was a, a poster that was made by BLM in Chicago. Hmm. Right. And so you're seeing this again, the, the left wing Marxist neoliberal crowd aligning themselves with what is honestly um, very clearly uh, a neo-Nazi kind of ideology and movement uh, through Hamas. And, you know, this paraglider coming in to, to obviously do what they did. Um glorifying it in a, in a sense it's it's actually pretty disgusting this has generated a lot of pushback from people who understand or see it for what it is but don't really fully understand why it's happening but here's a time magazine article as well to reinforce my point all right i'm not the only one seeing it there are a lot there are other political analysts out there who um have identified this as well. And Time Magazine is no conservative or right-wing publication these days, but they're um, they're acknowledging this as well, how the activist left turned on Israel. And they're laying out in, in you know, a lot of the points that I'm making here tonight as well. This is, uh, this is a strange, it's, it isn't really that strange. It's just difficult for people to understand because people think of their history and political ideology, even in very simplistic black and white, good versus evil, left versus right terms. Well, BLM. But it's BLM, more complicated than that. BLM is a spinoff from the Black Panthers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and the Black Panthers were Islam. Thank you, Leo. Right. So, yeah, 100%. Yep. <laughs> so they they know, and, and that's a terrorist group all by itself, right? The shit that they they pulled throughout the years, um, and our government supports them. <laughs> well, you know what? It, the, the last laugh's going to be on them when the shit hits the fan. Like I said, it'll be the woke society that will won't be able to defend themselves at the end of the day. It'll be the woke society that'll go first, right? Uh, uh, these people are not your friends. Okay, and, I, and like David Menzi, like I said, uh, when he had uh, uh, the gay rights standing with the, 
the Palestinian movement, okay? And he pointed out, what would happen to you? They would buck your head off faster than being Jew in a Muslim country. But this is how stupid people are, okay? They, they're they're going to get bit. They're going to get bit, and they're going to get bit hard. So just be careful who you stand next to and what you do. That's that's everything that, that's going forward here. Well, right? Do not misunderstand. I'm not talking. I've not been talking about all Palestinians. I'm not talking about all Muslims. I'm not. No. There are factions. There are some people who have extremist views and they are among us. And you're seeing them take steps to manipulate people, to indoctrinate people, to promote their agenda, to reach an objective, which is you know an objective that is honestly on the other side of the planet okay yeah. not here but they've brought it here because we've allowed them to bring it here we've been sure. encouraged them to bring this here well we didn't but our government certainly allowed them to and this is uh, this is tragic but but where do you where do you define the line on who's pro-palestinian who's not you got people identifying as fucking reindeer okay <laughs> it's it's really messed up world we're in, Rick. And I'm, uh, yep. I'm just, you know, I'm just. That's I why. Think- that's why. You know, people need to educate <laughs> themselves. You need to be aware. You need to understand that this stuff is out there. This, this, the way that these people are thinking, right? And recognize it for what it truly is. Because Nazism, fascism, communism, Marxism, authoritarianism. All right. It's not just some guy sitting there in a Nazi uniform with a swastika on. It manifests itself in a variety of ways. So be careful what you align yourself with. Think things through. Like I said, back to my childhood growing up, fuck, we were, we would, to today's world, we were fuck full fledged Nazis. We didn't even know it. Okay. Well, that's, just, that's just the way we grew up. The N word killed Jews, this and that. We didn't, right? Uh, this was the way that we grew up in, you know, it's like, it's like a gang member being brainwashed by the gang at a young age. Okay. And you're joining a gang. Next thing you know, you're doing all gang activity. How do you get out of this? How do you get out of this scenario that you got yourself into, right? As being a, a, a gang member with street credit and everything else, right? Uh, uh, some do escape. Many don't. Many die. The average lifespan of a gang member, I think, is 25 years old in Vancouver. Yeah. You know, if you make it to 30, you've done well. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and, I, and again, I, I don't want to, it's not my intention here at all to smear the freedom movement by mentioning that there are people oh, using no. these keywords within the movement. No, on the contrary. I'm trying to alert people that there are people out there who are doing it intentionally, and then that same language is now filtering its way through the entire movement with people unwittingly using the language, which has been twisted and manipulated so that you end up using it. It becomes normalized. And then when they finally flip, flip it so that it exposes what it really is so that they channel people, you're already there and you don't even realize that you've been pulled down into it. I'm seeing it happen. I'm back and way. Okay. Not, not from the freedom movement. I'm just mm-hmm. back and away from all these protests now because Really, for me, let's start protesting about the cost of living. Let's go back to the real things that fucking right. matter. Okay, yeah. the cost of living, the housing crisis, the homelessness, the fucking the real issues. 
You know, you get a yeah. lot more people at your protest if you're going to do a legitimate fucking protest. Yeah. See, I don't even know what we're saving anymore. Really, I don't. This is all no. distractions. I'll tell I you, agree with you, Leo. This is the this has been the thing with me for a while. It's like right. what's what's left of this freedom movement. Like so so much has been done that has been destructive within it. Um, you know, as much as people, including myself and I think you and many others, have been trying to save it or nurture it to to to, to get it to a positive place. There's so much that's been, I don't know, so much I'll has changed, you, right? It's I'll just tell you it's what's gonna happen, Rick. The the save the movement. Uh, protests. As soon as Polyev's in, he's already made it clear that it's up to us to parent our kids. Okay, he's going to step in and do the right thing. Yeah. Now, uh, you got guys, and I never understood it at all. Uh, uh, Ron Ron Clark uh, the other night when he had his uh, fucking mental breakdown here mm-hmm. on Facebook Live, and he was calling everybody out: Jason Lafetchi, Maverick News, uh, Clyde, everybody. Right? He was calling out fucking more or less, and here you are, you just spent two weeks up in Ottawa and you got this big protest happening on the 21st. He does this less than 48 hours before the march is supposed to happen. Like you derailed your own fucking shit. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and then ran away. And ran away. I don't think he came back, did he? Nope. Nope. No, no, no. He apparently was going to uh, the march in Edmonton today, but last I checked, he hadn't even posted a video today. So uh, he's laying low. Something's going on with that guy. Did Freedom George and all those guys go to Ottawa at least? I don't know. I'll check. You know, see, that's the shit I'm talking about. Get back to the the real roots of protesting, people. Protest fucking, you know. I put up up a post the other day. If you made $100, okay, you made $100, $78 of it goes towards tax in some way or form. Of that hundred dollars that you made, it's pretty sad, isn't it? Yeah. So Ron Clark is at the um, was at the thing in Edmonton today, but you know, Alberta or rather um, Ottawa was the target, right? That's where they were supposed to be. That's where their plan was. It basically all fell apart on them there, and uh, so he ran away, as far as I'm concerned. But, but if you know if you're gonna do something, okay, like I said, half measures half measures avail is nothing, okay? Yep. Okay, call out these people after the show, not 48 hours before the show goes. Okay, that's like uh, you wonder why riots happen. Okay, uh, uh, you go to a, you spend money on a rock concert, and, uh, and in the last minute the uh, the star cancels the show. Okay, and yeah. uh, people riot, right? You know, you should have waited till after the show bit his tongue, did the whole night. That's right. I mean, he was a couple of days away from like the, the big thing. If this was going to be the big moment, this would have been it this weekend. And, and he was gone. Now, Freedom George, I know that he went to Toronto. He was asked to speak there. So he chose to go there. And that was one of the other locations that I know that they were focused on. So that's where he went. Um, Colin Big Bear, he was involved for a while too, but he left probably from what I understand. I've tried not to talk about it too much because it's just kind of turned into a shit show. Yeah. And it's like not, not, not worthy of, of that much coverage, honestly. Yeah. Just poor leadership, mm-hmm. you know, and, and man, uh, management, the okay, uh you're going to do something, you have to do it. You gotta, you gotta think about what you're going to do, I guess. Right. Uh, you know, well, I, the problem is it was a bad plan and we found out what the, the plan was and uh, it was a really terrible plan. 
<laughs> yeah. It was a really, 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 really terrible plan. Yeah. Shouldn't do that stuff. Well, Windsor, that's why it all fell apart. Windsor's always a good place to protest. We don't have too many issues down here. I've never yeah. been to a protest here where police were cracking skulls and bear mason people are uh, pepper spraying people and none of that crap, right? Uh, and the radicals know where they stand over here, right? So I wasn't anticipating anything bad that was going to happen at our protest, but I just thought it was very weird that in the shit less than the 11th hour, people are putting up posts, oh, we're canceling and we're canceling. It's like, really? Who are you? Mm-hmm. You know, you're nobody. And these people are using their social media to, 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 you know, and then they say, well, I have nothing to do with it. Uh, well, you just rallied all the people. Uh, you used your platforms, everything else, but you're not an organizer. Right? Well, the good news is I think everything that happened today was peaceful. And um, I think it, it, it went off pretty well in, in the cities where it happened. Oh, you're going to like this one. You're going to like this one. The police officers, uh, there's only two police uh, cars that were at the Windsor one. And one of the cops there was the guy that was uh, charged with supporting the freedom movement. Remember? The Windsor police officer? Oh, right, 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 yeah. He was the guy in charge of it today. I should have got an interview with him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they get in trouble again. Yeah. So there's the police officer that what what happened to him? He uh, supported uh, through a GoFundMe, and they ended up uh, kicking his ass at the police police station and uh, demo- they didn't demote him, but they did knock his pay down for for a few months or whatever, right? So, Jilly Bean off. Live says, Rick, can you get John Julian on as a guest? We've had John Julian on. He was on about uh, two weeks ago when when he was supposed to do that jazz festival and they, they, they uninvited him. So yeah, we had him on the show. He was a great guest. He was a fantastic interview. But people be very careful in the next few months of uh, going to big events. I don't care if you're going to a football game or a baseball game or a rock concert or an outdoor show. Okay. Because he's uh, Hezbollah and uh, uh, Hamas and uh, every, all these other terrorist groups, they like to target where a lot of people are. So don't put yourself out there. I'm not saying don't go to shows. Make sure if you're going to go to a show, make sure there's at least security at the show that are patting people down. Mm-hmm. Not just let anybody walk in, right? Good uh, advice least, because, yeah, I, I, you know, times have changed. We just saw this incident in Detroit with that woman being stabbed. And, you know, uh, yeah, it's it, things. This is not the old Canada. This is not the old United States. You know, be careful out there. Be very careful. Yeah, there's going to be a a heightened security uh, all around. Uh, If you see right now, the the Americans have actually told their tourists uh, to get the hell out of certain places. Okay, before it's too late. Uh, (laughs) Americans are not very well liked uh, in the Middle East and uh, or any any Muslim uh, country. Okay, so... I've always said that, you know, why would you go on vacation to a place where people don't like you? Well, listen, guys, it is, it's 917. I'm late to join Lori on her program, Strange Bedfellows, which I'm going to actually bring up here and we'll continue the broadcast. Um, just We're just going to flow right into her show, but um, I can't integrate you guys into her yeah. stream. So I have to jump off here. 
get the stream flowing here so you can see her show on our channel here running right now. And then I have to jump off and, and go over there and join her. So okay, uh, any final thoughts to wrap up here? I got to get some more watermelon. I can't watch the rest of the <laughs> watermelons. But okay. it's, a great, it's a great show, Rick. Jenna, you're great. Uh, I'm just, you know, you got a great platform. It's uh, real sense, okay? You don't have anybody on here. There's some, like, I've been, I've been uh, shuffling around to other platforms there, Rick, behind your back and going on the <laughs> stream yard. I call it fucking barnyard, just telling people <laughs> to fuck off. You're a piece of shit, you know what I mean? Uh, but I like that kind of, that's entertainment too. It's like Jerry Springer, right? Uh, uh, the thing with me and Queenie that were going on, we made up. And uh, I could think she didn't get a thousand people down in Ottawa, or I would have had to go down there and kiss her ass. And I didn't want to do that. Right. So, yeah, you know, it is what it is. It's social media. <laughs> it's fine. Well, Thanks, that's guys. Okay. I, I forgive you for, for, <laughs> you know, cheating. <laughs> <laughs> cheating. <laughs> Hope you guys like watermelon. I love it. <laughs> okay. Thank All you right, guys. Leo. You guys have nice a great time. night. Thank you, All Leo, right. for, for uh, sharing that video with us today too. All right, guys. All right. Blessings everybody. All right. All right. So let me take a quick break. And then when we come back on the other side, we're going to have Lori's program, Strange Bedfellows up already in progress. And I'll be jumping over there to join her momentarily. Do not go away. More ahead on the other side of this. The New World Order. Government overreach. The Great Reset. Mainstream media lies. Now more than ever. Independent voices are needed. Donate now at freedomreporters.com. That's freedomreporters.com. Maverick News. The antivirus program for your mind. Gain was imposed in 2007, and obviously, given the number of people that came from all over Palestine that ended up forced into Gaza, what's happened to Palestine since 1948? Right. And the latest update that I heard uh, a few hours ago was that President Biden is asking Israel to back off, to stop the attacks on the Lebanon border. Uh, he's trying, he says, to talk to Iran trying to prevent this from escalating further, which is a pretty wise move. I am no fan of President Biden, but I, I think, I hope that he's trying to prevent the entire Middle East from <laughs> getting involved in this, um, because it's not a fair fight, Don, as you pointed out. One side has nuclear weapons and the other side doesn't. That's yes. not even talking about the conventional firepower advantage that Israel has with our help, with the United States help. Um, but yeah, I mean, one side has nukes, the other side doesn't. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a turkey shoot right now. It's, right. It's, 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 it's mass murder. And, and it's genocide. It's attempted genocide. And the purpose of... <laughs> look, it's, it, it's literally the Wild West. Have you, and, and what do you mean by the Wild West? You had Europeans that were conquering territory that was occupied and utilized and, and, and the source of life for uh, Native Americans that had been living here for a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years. 
that those people were murdered and that land was stolen and is now occupied. You know, I, I have friends that, you know, that are in favor of Israel and um, <clears throat> some are Jewish and some are not. Just like I have friends that are opposed to the, even the concept of the Zionist state that are Jewish and not Jewish. Okay, mm -hmm. the, the two things are not identical. And the whole political project of Zionism attempted to place in the minds of both Jewish people and everyone else that these two things are unitary, that they're one. And if you're against Israel, then you hate Jews. And we know how dangerous that is, and it's something they can't tolerate. So therefore, the criticism of Israel can't be tolerated either because it's it's the first step on the way to the extermination of Jews. It's, it's a crock of nonsense, okay? I'll be respectful of the uh, medium here. <laughs> There's a much stronger word that starts with B and ends in O or something. Um, but it, it's, it's, not it's not true. So I'm talking with my friend who's, I was in the title insurance business for 50 years. My job, and I'm an expert in qualified to testify in court, et cetera, on property rights, property rights. So my friend that I worked with for about 30 or 40 years, who happens to be Jewish, he's you know, sort of practicing and whatever, um, lives in Florida now. He's tired. <clears throat> he has a list of, you know, on Facebook, and he's you know, defending Israel. And there's one person there. I'm challenging their, you know, their claim. It's basically I'm saying this is a European settler state that practices apartheid against people that don't fit into their definition of Jewishness. Even Jews who, who identify as that, and 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 that this is, you know, bad, and that they have no claim to this land. And she said we were we were given that land, and that was our land. I forget one thousand, two thousand, three thousand years ago, and they've been gone since. So I said to her and my friend, both of them live in Florida. Good. I have some friends who are Seminoles, and I'm going to tell them that you are now going to welcome them to come to your property, evict you from your home, bulldoze it into the ground, and build a teepee on the property, and that this is fine with you because this is your understanding of property rights. You know, uh, our second guest tonight, actually, Arkady Itkin, he had a pretty fiery debate with our friend Scott Ritter. Uh, the other day on this topic, and he proposed the question, and it's an interesting question, uh, since this is the United States and Canada, stolen land, yeah. uh, what if, you know, the Mexicans decided to come take their land back by force? How do you think the United States would respond? Please, they don't even let people keep their own land, let alone give up any any of ours, quote unquote. <laughs> right. So, and, and and the claims, okay. How remote are the claims? The Palestinians claim it's it's from, since 1948 that they had the land until 1946, 47, whatever, when the war started, when the terrorism started, the acts that were taken by the Zionist groups that formed the state of Israel with the sanction of the United Nations at that point in time. They did it using the same military techniques that we call terrorism when other people use it. Non-state actors murdering people for political gain or political objectives. That, that's how the state of Israel was born. And by the way, the United States. And by the way, most uh, states that have been constructed uh, since the beginning of the period of imperialism on the former lands of, of indigenous peoples, in Philippines, Hawaii, Australia, all over Africa, all over Asia, wherever you want to go. That's that's the modality. So the Palestinians claim 
you know, they've only been evicted since 1948, in essence. Uh, the, the, the Native Americans, some of them have only been evicted since the beginning of the 20th century, others sometime in the 19th century, others sometime in the 18th century, and a very few in the, in the 17th century. In the 1600s, you know, you had Jamestown and some early settlements, and, and that's it. So their claims range from, you know, 80 years ago to, to three, 400 years ago. Now the claim, the only one that can be prosecuted is the claim that's two or 3,000 years old. Well, I don't understand the logic of that, and I don't understand a legal theory that would support that either. And if someone has one, I would love to hash it out and, and would prepare for it, schedule it for some point, two, three weeks, a month, or whatever, out so we can both do our homework, and I'll debate anybody with that. Any two people, as a matter of fact. I'd love to host that debate. Sure, You're I, on. I, 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 <laughs> you can You're on. show up. So Absolutely. On that point, though, why not look at this? This continent was stolen, and the people that were here, many of them, were murdered. And in terms of genocides, you know, that's the other thing. And, and, and I'm not comparing or belittling the horrible thing that was done to European Jews by the Nazis and also over the history of Europe, by the way, some in Russia way back when, okay, right. the Spanish Inquisition, you know, wherever you want to. And by the way, what the Nazis did, there was full on collaboration, either affirmative or negative with almost the rest of Europe and the United States because Jews, well, for example, um, what was his name? Uh, Ziegelboim, uh, who committed suicide uh, after the uh, crushing of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, um, he went around as a representative of the Polish government in exile um, and of various Jewish groups in and around Poland. Uh, he went to the United States. He was in London. He went to Paris before Paris joined the Nazis. They say Paris fell before uh, Paris joined the Nazis. He went all over the place looking for help. He should have gone to Moscow because he would have helped there because sure. Stalin would have helped. But nobody else would help. First, he wanted actual physical material, military assistance to get the you know the Nazis off their backs. And then he was asking, okay, let, then we want to leave Poland and we need a destination when we come to your house. And everybody was like, nope, stay there and fight and die. So you know now, mm. and, and and he at the end of that goes back to London. They have the government in exile. He he never lived beyond. I think it was May or June of 1943 when he committed suicide. And his suicide note was basically, I, I can't bear to live as a part of a species that could watch this happen and sit idly by and let it happen. I, I, I carry too much shame having any any affiliation with that group of people, and I can't live with it anymore. And and, and you know, now we're all in exactly that same situation. <laughs> you know, I don't, <laughs> put it this way, if I were going to, have to commit suicide, that means I'd have to commit a murder because suicide is murder. If I'm going to commit murder, I, I've got about six and a half billion to commit before I get to me over those conditions. Because if no one's going to help them, everyone else deserves to die too. If that's the if that's the penalty for it. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying it is, and I'm not saying I want to hurt anyone, but what he did, he he was aiming at the he was the only person that actually felt what should be done that strongly, and the, 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 if you're going to have a world where that where people like that survive, that they don't commit suicide, they fight. 
You know, you were speaking about uh, Jews for Palestine, and there was a huge protest at the United States Capitol on yep. Thursday. Absolutely uh, true. Organized by Jews for Palestine. We've seen, you know, protests on college campuses around the country, and now that's become a, a divisive issue. I want to show you a quick clip of just kind of what happened this Opposing week rallies at Columbia, a die-in at Harvard. The latest protests are part of a long tradition of free speech on campus. But some law students are now finding their words can affect their future. Law firm Winton and Straw announced they rescinded a job offer to a top NYU law student this month after blaming Israel for the violence on October 7th. And law firm Davis Polk pulled three more offered to Harvard students for signing a similar statement. Now, a tenured professor has written an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal entitled, Do Not Hire My Anti-Semitic Students. Free speech does not mean there's no consequences for free speech. Professor Stephen Solomon says he considers any justification of the Hamas attacks to be anti-Semitic hate speech. This is a professional setting. These are people who are to be trained as lawyers. Um, they should not be going ask lawyers if they're advocating the murder and justifying the murder of innocent people. One Berkeley student group mentioned in the op-ed characterized the October 7th attacks as resistance to apartheid. In a statement to NBC News, the group called the article a smear that wrongly conflates activism with anti-Semitism. Some students unaffiliated with the group say they are concerned about the precedent. I think regardless of which side you support, I don't know that professors should be encouraging it to uh, dissuade you from potential employment. Professor Ken Stern runs Bard College's Center for the Study of Hate. When you start drawing lines of saying what speech is permitted and what speech isn't, a horrible thing in society in general. And these are academic institutions. They're academic institutions. The whole point of an academic institution is not to be the State Department. Tonight, a debate over free speech and whether a student's public stance on a controversial topic should cripple a career before it even begins. Thanks for watching. Stay updated about breaking news and top stories on the NBC News app or follow us on social media. You know, the guy's a law professor. He yeah. ought to understand, he does understand that what he's doing, interfering with the, because he's promoting, he's actually affirmatively reaching out to people and saying, don't hire my students in the media. Really? That's yes. a tort. That's an interference. Their ability to, to make money, it's, it's legally a wrong, actionable. The guy ought to, number one, the first thing I would do is grieve him to the bar associate or to the uh, wherever. Mm -hmm. uh, whoever has jurisdiction, wherever he is. I mean, if he's at NYU, I assume he's admitted in New York. So they ought to file a grievance, you know, in, in New York County with the with the county bar and with the court and whatever the hell they used in New York City um, and go after his license because he should not even be practicing law. That's the first license they ought to go after. Whatever else he has to be teaching at NYU law, he should be nowhere near teaching students, particularly law students, when he's directly invoking uh, violations or, or inducing violations of the U.S. Constitution, you're supposed to, when you're a lawyer, first of all, you're supposed to be upholding the Constitution. If you're instructing students, you're supposed to be, if you're going to instill any values in them, that. Because what you're basically doing is saying, look, this is the legal system that exists. This is the legal system you're going to operate in. You have to acknowledge that it's, you know, it's legitimacy at the beginning, or if you're going to fight it, you fight it from outside because we don't bring people into this system to pull the temple down on top of themselves. And so the guy shouldn't be a lawyer and he shouldn't be a teacher. 
Now, if he's something else, if he wants to work in a grocery store or something, then we organize a boycott and say, by the way, that guy's a bigot and he has no goddamn business doing this stuff in the first place. I'm going to bring in Rick Walker. By the way, I'm going to see <laughs> Rick right Walker. Maverick News just joined us. Hello. Glad Hi. you could. Hello, friends. I'm going to let you pop off a couple of questions here. Your turn. Well, I'm trying to catch up because I was busy over there, you know, saying things that no doubt will get me in trouble at some point. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I probably should listen a little bit more before I start chiming in but Don, i guess just i i take it that you're on the pro-palestine side and you are of the mindset that this is an occupation uh a colonization is that pretty much well, where we're at you know it's, look you have a you have a nation state that exists in, in the 19th century and into the 20th century the british conquer it they do like they did pretty much everywhere else um, and then uh, they start making arrangements to change the character of it. Um, they um, make an agreement with uh, Rothschild, for example, and others. You had a Zionist movement that really uh, came into its own in the mid late 19th century. Um, and the, the purpose of the Zionist uh, movement was to get Jewish people to move back to the Holy Land, quote unquote, Israel, you know, that the greater area there, really, um, and to settle it and to set up a state that's a Jewish state, a Jewish homeland, in essence. The, the theory is that the Jews are a nation, uh, and, and it's uh, pretty frightening, actually, the, uh, the definition of terms that's used to define that is actually very close to where, to where the Nazis define nations also. Um, and that consequently, they were a people, a nation without a state, and they didn't uh, um, accept the legitimacy or even admit the presence of the people that lived in what was then called and shown on maps everywhere as Palestine as being people. Because the, the, basically the slogan was a land without a people and a people without a land. And that was supposed to be the marriage that would happen with the creation of a Jewish state on that land. Um, I don't know how well she re refer to it other than it being a Euro-American or European settler state. And if you look at the distinction in the law between Jews and everyone else, it's an apartheid state too. It resembles South Africa more than anything else, including the Palestinian lands resembling the South African, the, what did they used to call them, homelands. So your, I guess you view what the situation is in America in much the same way in Canada and the U.S. with except, first names. Except for, the, look, my background is in, is in real estate property rights. I'm, I'm an expert in property rights for land. I've been in the title insurance business for 50 years. Every day of those 50 years, I analyzed people's, you know, the records of people's rights in real property. I prepared insurance contracts that ensure, I listed the state of them in a report, said this is who owns what, this is what they can do, these are the liens, the, uh, these are the easements, these are the things that are the usions of those property rights here, there, et cetera. And so you can buy it or take a mortgage on it or whatever, knowing that that's the set of facts that apply to it. Here's an insurance policy. One, if there's some flaw in our presentation of the facts, we will litigate it or pay off whoever has that interest to get it, to secure it and match up to what you had. And if we're unsuccessful, we will pay you. 
And I, I wrote, I don't know, billions of dollars worth of insurance contracts doing that. So when I look at this stuff. And yeah, look, but when I bought my house, a war wasn't fought over it. Well, it, was a, it was a transaction. It was contractual. Right. I know a nation state didn't show up and, uh, you know, back me and I didn't back them. And I didn't sign a treaty with, uh, with, a, with a nation, with, with, you know, the colonialist power. Right. I, I bought I bought a house Somebody based said, on on codified law and 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 property rights enshrined in a constitution. Right. Which dates back law. and and yeah. and in Canada, you know, our history is a little bit different yeah. because, you know, a, a lot of our First Nations actually fought with the British against you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, no. So we've got Chief That's Tecumseh true. and we have monuments to him all over the place yeah. here. And. Mm -hmm. And it gets pretty complicated because we have over I think three hundred and sixty different First Nations communities and and treaties that I can't even begin to to number uh, that that were established over many years. So you know a lot a lot of that stuff gets pretty complex. And you know right. I think you have to be somewhat pragmatic about these things because like it or not, the city of Toronto is there and it's a great big chunk of concrete. And I'm not exactly sure where it's supposed to go in 2023. And such is the case also with Israel. Like well, it or not, it's there. So where would you like the people to go? And then I have another question to follow up on that with after you give me, you know, hopefully an, an answer that helps guide me to a place of greater understanding. I will. Okay. So the first the, the answer to this question, I, I guess it formulated as a question. Um, first of all, if you looked at the the history of ownership of, of your house or whatever property you're dealing with, um, the, the method that we use to examine it, we start with somebody tells us I'm the owner of this property right now. We go to wherever the record repository is in Canada. Here in New York, it's in the county clerk's offices in Connecticut. It's in the town clerk's offices. Elsewhere, it's in similar registry of deeds, whatever you call it. There's a government office that has copies of all of the deeds, mortgages, litigation affecting real estate, easements, everything else that affect property rights, real property rights. And what we do is we start with your name. And we look at the index and we'd find your the deed that you got it by. And we look at the grantor, the person that conveyed to you their name. And we go back, 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 back. It's called chaining title. Okay. And we, we look at who owned it all the way back to a point of origin. Here in New York, that point of origin is after the grant from the King of England to the first Lord of the Manor here. And then when that was divided up, who they conveyed to, et cetera. That point of origin is the point at which the people who lived here before were dispossessed by a variety of means by the Europeans. The Dutch here first and then the English. And then the creation of what they, they used a moral system first. In other words, you had a lord of the manor who owned the land and also was the government. You know, it was a feudal arrangement. And then in the 18th century, in the British colonies, probably in Canada too, but I don't know that for a fact, they went from that system to a system where the same guy still had all the land, but there was a separate government. They created colonial towns and then colonial counties. So we had the colony of New York. Um, and suddenly we had Westchester County and we had uh, the town of Phillipsburg, which is where three of the existing towns we have are now. And then 
after the Declaration of Independence and as the various state governments began to be formed, I think it was in 1784 or something in, in New York, created the state of New York. And now there were American townships, cities, towns, villages, etc. And, and well, so you had what, what happened was you had government and ownership were all in one. That's what was seized from the people that were here. And that was the point of origin. And then that changed over a period of 50 to 100 years uh, in this part of the country, you know, in the eastern, this 13 colonies part of the country, and, and ended up with something pretty much by 1795 that resembles what we have now. Well, it so goes back further than that, being, Don. It goes back to 1493 and the doctrine of discovery. Well, yeah, this is the Pope basically parceling the Western Hemisphere up between Spain and, and France with... Uh, that's why we have Brazil speaking Portuguese and the rest of it is speaking Spanish, pretty much. Um, and the doctrine of discovery that said, in essence, if Christians find lands, uh, you know, anywhere where there are non-Christians or heathens, I forget what word the Pope used in, in, in that, uh, then you can claim those lands and peoples for Jesus Christ and the church and yourselves, by the way, in the process of doing it. Uh, that doctrine of discovery was, in essence, a declaration of war on the rest of humanity. It was a sanctioning by the, you know, holy part of the uh, remaining of the Holy Roman Empire and the other ascended uh, uh, capitalist states in Europe uh, to murder everyone and steal their land. And that's what was done. That's what was done in this continent and in, and in South America and Central America and in Australia and in New Zealand and, and from here to as far as they could reach. And they reached, you know, Magellan went all the way around the world. The, the, the property rights that you hold are based upon a land theft that took place sometime probably in the in the 17th or 18th century. Now, and so you're saying that that is so well settled that it shouldn't be disturbed. Okay, the land theft... No, don't put my words in my mouth. Don't put words sorry, in my mouth. Uh, I didn't say that, but you continue. Okay. But it seemed, that seemed to be the Because law. I'm all for First Nations peoples pursuing land claim settlements if, if there's still unsettled matters and... They have every right to go to court here, and they still pursue those matters to this very day. And they they're, right and they're actually increasingly successful. But they um, right? anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do they have a right to hold their own courts and drag you people into those courts? As a matter of fact, yeah, they're in the process right now um, of establishing a dual legal system here in Canada, where if you're charged with a crime, for instance, you can, if you're a First Nations person, you can choose which of the two legal systems you will, will, will travel through. And in addition to that, they're, they're making, you know, additional provisions for land claim hearings. So same um, thing we, happening here in Oklahoma. Yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of progress is being made, but, but the point being it, that is also based on uh, today's reality. And and the treaties that were signed in the past and whether they were fair or just and and we're trying to navigate through these things in a way that allows us to live together. Right. And and First Nations leaders here in Canada, the, the, leg, the legitimate leaders of these different communities, I think a lot of most of them are on board with this process. And, um, you know, it, there's still a lot of anger and animosity and a lot of it fueled by political narratives honestly because there's still a lot of jockeying that goes on where there some people want power and some people want money and some people want the land and you know there's corruption all through all you know the, everything as there always is and so and there's the people you know, who just want war they and just then want to fight 
there's that also pick that. up arms and fight about yeah, it that's right yeah. but uh you know we're i think we've made a lot of progress on that front and uh, and we're dealing i mean here's here's my follow-up question don are you uh when are you going to turn over your 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 house and leave whenever listen <laughs> all right first let me address some of what you just said now to that trust me yeah because <laughs> i've been raising the same question actually difficult i mean i'm just no I'm, no it's not. i'm not trying to like be smart about it it's it's a no, like, i understand I, you know like what are we gonna do it's contradiction i understand it i understand it very well as a matter of fact and i've been asking the same question of people that are, that are supporting israel mm -hmm. some i just was telling lord this is i have some friends that also were in the same business i was in as a matter of fact and i asked them they live in florida if what was done in uh israel if, if post-1948 on a claim that's remote as two or three thousand years, however long Jews were pushed out of Palestine into the diaspora. Okay, that is the most remote claim out of all the ones we're discussing. The Palestinians were kicked out in 1948. The Native Americans kicked out anywhere from 80 years ago to two or three, 300 years ago. And Jews were kicked out a millennia or two years ago. So, in terms of looking at actual property rights, the ones that have vested the most in terms of an adverse claim would be the people who took a claim to Palestine. And then the next one would be the Americans. The weakest claim are the people who just evicted the Palestinians from, from what they now call Israel. That's basically how things would play if it were a regular land claim and the underlying theory, because how, how well established is the but fact- what, So what do you mean by a regular land claim? Are you talking like a real estate deal? What, no, not real estate deal. I'm talking about ownership of land. That's what we're talking about. I mean, when you're talking about a court system in Canada, for example, it's all well and good if a drunken driving or a domestic violence or whatever mm -hmm. kind of claim it is is either handled in an alternate way, like with a, with a tribal council yeah, or whatever. Depends on which court or you're or in. And when you start litigating yeah. the basic foundational ownership of Canada, not a piece of land in the middle of Oklahoma or in the middle of you know a British Columbia or whatever, but Canada. Then I'll understand that you actually have a court system that takes the the position of the people who are here for as uh, seriously as they take their own claim, which was based on genocide and land theft. And 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 I feel the same way about the United States, and I feel the same way about well, what. Well, now we're down to the root question: is and what constitutes a country and what legitimizes it? Well, right, that, that that's true. That it that is exactly question who has the most guns usually that is that is that is the truth yeah yeah and so we have to look at, at all of these cases in that way so first of all the, right now you have people shooting at each other in palestine and what you're going to do when you settle that is establish some sort of a precedent even if it's only a political one it's going to have the form of a legal precedent, even if it doesn't have the effect of one, because there's no real body of law where you could establish precedents that would be binding on anyone else. We don't have national or global government. We have the United Nations. That isn't what that is. Unless you rewrote the charter and installed this particular thing that happens that solves that problem in Palestine into the UN charter, it's, that wouldn't bind anyone else to do the same thing. Well, but I would say that to legitimize 
any sovereign nation state, you need to be recognized by other nation states so that they recognize your sovereignty. Otherwise, they would say, screw you, we're just going to come in and invade you. We're not going to trade with you or, you know, in order, order to have a normalized relations, other nation states need to recognize you. Just with it, And when you go to war, as is the case right now in what we're dealing with in Ukraine, that is actually the root question right there. Does Ukraine have the right to sovereignty or not? And that's, I mean, that's always kind of at the root of every war as well. That's what we, this is why it's not, it's not like a real estate deal. It's not, it, it's, it's a more complex question. Any country is really just a, a construct anyway. It's just something that human beings make up. And this land, land mass over here within this boundary line, this constitutes the, the land of, of, of elves, Elv, Elville <laughs> country, right? And, and, and whether that's legitimate or not depends on whether you can defend. So if you have enough guns to defend your sovereignty, or if you can uh, persuade other countries not to invade you and take over your well, land. You can round up enough allies who have more guns than you that's do right. to lend you some guns and some that's bombs. That's exactly right. And then, and then you, then you become legitimate. If I, if, you, if I could jump in here. Sure. Um, speaking of Ukraine and the Russia situation, you notice when President Biden gave his Oval Office address this week, Somehow he ties this whole thing in Israel to Russia and Ukraine and how this was his pitch to get the money that Congress denied him uh, in the latest appropriations package to get more money for his beloved war over there in Ukraine. So to tie these two things together, I'm going to show you a clip from a protest that happened yesterday on Capitol Hill regarding the Israel-Palestine conflict, and we'll discuss Where that. Where is your humanity? How do you look at one atrocity and say this is wrong, but you watch as bodies pile up, as neighborhoods are leveled? Israel has dropped more bombs in the last 10 days than we dropped in a whole year in Afghanistan. Where is your humanity? Where is your outrage? Where is your care for people? How is it that we have a president who is talking about releasing hostages, who is talking about getting American citizens out of Israel and could not get himself to say, I want to save and work to save the hundreds, thousands of Americans is stuck in Gaza. What is wrong with you? Question for Ilhan Omar and the stupid squad. What's wrong with them? Where was their outrage? Where was their humanity when they kept voting and continue to vote time and time again to send more money and more weapons to Ukraine? Where's their love for the innocent Russian people and civilian Ukrainian people who have been slaughtered in this war? It seems very, uh, shall we say, situational integrity mm. to me. Uh, Don, what do you think of all that? I know you're not a big fan of the squad. Yeah. 
um, you know, they're other than what you're describing, which is their, you know, their their assent to to what's been happening. You know, you have uh, a condition in that where fourteen thousand people were murdered by the government. That, well, first of all, you have a government that was installed by the United States in in Ukraine. Yep. The, the United States dropped five billion dollars. Vicky Newland boasts about it in a presentation she made. Um, in front, I forget who the hell was in front of. I have a recording of it. You can dig out if you want it. Um, in essence, they took five billion dollars of federal money and they leveraged because they got money from Soros and others, other more billions. They built in Western Ukraine a, a communications infrastructure, TV stations, radio stations, print media, massive effort, and propagandized beginning in 1991, two, three, but the five billion happened a couple of years, two years and, and, and forward to 2014 coup, that in essence, um, Ukraine means borderland, okay? Ukraine, it, it set the border, the way it's termed by academics, it's a civilizational divide. What you can see though, you have people that look to Germany, Poland, and you know the old Lithuanian uh, empire, whatever you want to call it, uh, historically Roman Catholic or, or, you know, not Orthodox living on the Western half. And you had people that in essence, most of that was part of Russia for most of its history. Russians live there, they're Orthodox. And so this is like in Hitler's terms, which is the way the academics here in the country now refer to this whole history, by the way, here, not just in Ukraine or the Canadian, uh, the parliament or whatever, but here, um, in essence, uh, the civilizations that exist are the uh, what the hell do they call the uh, the Russians or are um, Eurasian? Mm-hmm. They they impute to them an Asiatic mindset and genetic background and all of that. And Europeans or even Aryans, some of them refer to them as yeah. certainly the people in Western Ukraine who have been touched by this propaganda effort, which was in the schools, it was in the massive media architecture, stoking the antagonisms that have existed between those two camps that are at a meeting point in Ukraine. If you look at maps of the elections in uh, 2004, I think it was, and 2010 for presidential elections, which are the last ones that took place before the coup in 2014, you'll see that in exactly the same areas and in actually a larger area uh, as the republics that seceded from uh, Ukraine in, in beginning in uh, 2014 and then up until uh, last year, that the vote, you have a yellow and a blue um, um, electoral map. That darkest blue area was larger than the area that seceded. They elected Yanukovych. The people in the western part of the country voted for Yulia Tymoshenko, and she didn't win the election. There was no question other than from Tymoshenko's people and some people in the State Department that that election was valid. And the election in 2004 that the, uh, what's his name, uh, Kuchma won, uh, and uh, uh, Yanukovych uh, lost by a very small margin, shows the same detail in the map. There were a couple of districts in between that swung one way or the other, like we see happen in the U.S. and in much of Latin America, in places where you have fairly divided either by ethnicity, race, 
uh, other uh, historical factors, segments of a population that are sort of in opposition to each other. And you can't figure out from the outside really why, like looking at Democrats and Republicans. I mean, I don't believe Democrats and Republicans really hate each other so much over abortion rights and whatever the other thing is, because almost everything else that their politicians offer in terms of, of policy is identical. The, 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 there's eight dissenters on aid to Ukraine and, you know, Republicans, whatever, that manifest in that uh, thing with uh, McCarthy. Um the overwhelming uh, numbers in the House of Representatives are in favor of giving aid to both. Everyone That's in right. Congress is in favor of giving money to Israel whenever anyone brings it up. Because if you don't, you're out of Congress. You can ask Cynthia McKinney about that. You can ask Dennis Kucinich about that. They're not. It's not some personal thing. Here's what happened. In Cynthia McKinney's case, it was she wouldn't sign a, a written statement saying that she supports the state of Israel. She said, I'm, I'm a member of the U.S. Congress. I support the United States of America and everybody else I'm looking at from that perspective. Out. Dennis Kucinich, they didn't like the position he took on the war in Libya, and he didn't like the position he took with respect to the Palestinians. Out. That's that's the history of it here. You know, speaking of uh, Dennis Kucinich, uh, you've done a lot of reporting for us here at Maverick News on the Robert Kennedy campaign. Of course, last week, uh, Dennis Kucinich, campaign manager Kennedy, left quite suddenly, and it was uh, a surprise even to a lot of people inside the campaign. Uh, Dennis is not giving interviews on it. He's not discussing it. But uh, Don, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it and why you think that that parting was necessary. Well, I hold different positions just publicly. I mean, I don't have any secrets, you know, than anybody told me on either side. Um, but I know that if you did, you wouldn't betray them. <laughs> no, no, I, I would say that I can't speak about it. But I'm, I'm, the reason I'm saying I can't speak about it is because I didn't talk to anybody. Not not that I uh, promised confidence or, or, or whatever. Um, but looking at, you know, what's been said over over time. And I've watched Dennis's career since he was mayor of uh, Cleveland. Cleveland. Um, <laughs> like Jerry Springer, um, and, uh, <laughs> and 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 for example, um, when he ended up at uh, Bobby Kennedy's uh, campaign, um, and I reached out after I, and I'd gone up and seen that he was running, and I, I went up to Boston and, and all of that. Um, when I, the first contact I had with him, because I know him through Cynthia McKinney, who's one of my best friends, uh, I told him that I had read his uh, lawsuit cover to cover, that the one that they brought to impose the War Powers Act on Obama um, in June of uh, 2011 over the Libya war. And to prove it, what I did with the email I sent to my appended copies of all the pleadings that I had on my home drive. And so I, I've been following his career close and deep for a very long time. And his position on uh, Palestine uh, Israel is not very far from mine, which mine is essentially, you know, this is a settler apartheid European state uh, that occupies Palestine. He he doesn't say it like that, but his position is a lot closer to that than to Robert Kennedy, who not not only do I support Israel, but I was shocked to hear him say, and I support President Biden mm. in the way he's handling this. Because it, it, it sounded very odd to me from someone who's running against him. 
especially someone running as an anti-war candidate and also yeah. as, an, as a as a sort of as a uh, you know as a contrarian as a you know as an outsider or whatever when the whole consensus position in washington is that from the entire congress every step anyone has ever said anything remotely supportive of the palestinians has either been fired in the last weeks or has been made to do a mea culpa publicly and and so where washington stands is very clear and you know that the hand of the CIA is deeply involved in what goes on in that whole region, including in Israel. And somebody that's running against the CIA who's going to go in and clean it out so that it stops being an engine for war and profit for the military to, to take a position supporting the president who's doing exactly that just caught me a little funny. And so, I, 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 you know, maybe he's doing I don't know what he's doing. And presumably he does. But, you know, it's one thing to say I support Israel because you have to say that in Washington or or you don't get there. They'd stop you at the bridge or whatever. Um, and it's another to say, you know, to, to go way out and, and say uh, I support the guy who's supposedly running against Trump, who is running against Biden, whether it was warranted or not. This is what you do when you're running against somebody said it's Biden's fault. Yeah. After Biden's speech, Trump put out a three-page statement where he once again reaffirmed his support for Israel 100%. Well, he, he said he was born there, too. Did you see that? Yes. And Biden said that. I was like, what? Yeah. And he just can't stop lying. He's such a pathological liar. I was born a poor Israeli child. I mean, yeah, whatever, right. yeah. dude. Like a Steve Martin trope or something, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Straight out of the jerk. Yeah, Speaking right. of jerks, uh, I'm going to play you a clip here before we close out your hour. Um, this is a clip from Al Arabiya TV. Yeah, which uh, is the sour. journalist is uh, Rasha Nabil. I hope I pronounced her name correctly. She's interviewing here the leader of Hamas, Khalid Mashal. And uh, I found this clip pretty, pretty shocking. You may have seen it. Uh, in this clip, he says that uh, Hamas's terrorism is legitimate resistance. لكن نحن هنا لم نبتع مقاومة جديدة نحن في جو المقاومة فحين تقوم بخطوة هو في سياق مقاومة مشروعة شعبنا طيب أنت تتحدث في نقاط مهمة تقول أن هذه مقاومة مشروعة من وجهة نظركم ولكن ما شهده العالم على شاشات التلفزيون في العالم الغربي كان انتهاكات من حركة حماس ضد المنيين الإسرائيليين حتى أن الحركة وأنت مسؤول عن صورة الحركة في الخارج أصبحت تقرا بداعش هذه تهمة طبعا افتراها نتنياهو هذا والغرب للأسف متواطئ الشعوب يا أختي العزيزة لا تتحرر بسهولة الروس قدموا 30 مليون ضحية في الحرب العالمية الثانية حتى يتحرروا 
من هجوم هتلر عليهم الشعب الفيتنامي قدم 3 مليون ونص بني ادم حتى هزموا الامريكان افغانستان هزمت الاتحاد السوفيتي اول ثم امريكا بملايين من الشهداء الشعب الجزائري 6 ملايين شهيد عبر 130 عاما الشعب الفلسطيني مثله مثل كل شعوب ما في شعب يتحرر بدون تضحيات كيف تقارن الغرب والعالم والعالم بان يناصر القضيه الفلسطينيه وما يتصدر المشهد الان هي الممارسات التي ارتكبتها حماس باتجاه المدنيين الاسرائيليين سيد خالد انت تعلم ان هناك تعاطف كبير اكتسبته اسرائيل من هذه المشاهد هل في فكر وعقيده حماس التعامل هكذا مع المدنيين انا قلت لك يا اختي العزيزه حماس وكتائب القسام والاجهزه العسكريه تركز مقاومتها على قوات الاحتلال على الجنود لكن في كل الحروب يسقط بعض الضحايا من المدنيين لسنا مسؤولين عنهم وهل يمكن أن تعتذروا عما حدث باتجاه المدنيين الإسرائيليين خلال عملية السابع من أكتوبر؟ والله اسمحي لي سؤالك اسمحي لي مع الاحترام لك الاعتذار ينبغي أن يطلب من إسرائيل أنت, أنت سألتيني سؤال أنا أجيبك بوضوح حماس لا تتعمد قتل المدنيين تركز على الجنود نقطة أول السطر أنت قلت أن ما يقوم به حزب الله جيد ولكنه ليس على المستوى المطلوب هل يفهم من تصريحاتك هذه أن حزب الله ومحور المقاومة خذلكم حتى اللحظة فيما كنتم تتوقعون منهم الردود؟ إحنا في فلسطين نقاتل هذا موقفنا وهذا قرارنا بقية خارج فلسطين كل من يقف معنا نقول له شكراً حزب الله في لبنان الآن الجبهة اللبنانية مشتعلة وهذا يشكر عليه سواء الأداء اللبناني أو الفلسطيني من كل الأطياف حزب الله طبعا دوره فاعل هناك ما قامت به هذه الشبكات في جنوب لبنان جيدة وأسندت القضية لكن حزب المعركة لما يكون العنوان طوفان الأقصى وهذه الجريمة النكراء على غزة لا شكل مطلوب أكبر لكن لا ينبغي نركز على لبنان وحزب الله فقط تعالوا نركز على بلادنا في دول طوق هنا مصر العظيمة اللي خاضت حروب كبيرة اليوم الشارع المصري يغلي تحية للشعب المصري نريد منه المزيد أطالب القيادة المصرية أن يكون موقفه أقوى وأقوى ما هو المزيد؟ ما هو المزيد؟ هل تطالب يعني فيما يتعلق بلبنان وأنت تتابع هذا وتشاهده على وسائل التواصل الاجتماعي الناس في لبنان تعيش وضعا سيئا ليست في حاجة إلى حرب جديدة تكلفها المزيد من الفواتير يقولون لك خالد مشعل يجلس في المكيف ويتحدث عن الحروب وعن الجهاد وعن الخروج وعن القصف نحن في قلب المعركة يا أختي الكريمة ما حد جالس في الميدان ولا حد برا الميدان قيادة حماس في آخر وخارج تخوض المعركة أنتم أقدمتم على هذه الخطوة وهي العملية السابع من أكتوبر والآن تطالبون العرب بالتدخل العرب لم يكن شركاء معكم في اتخاذ هذا القرار لا أحد في العالم العربي قال لمصر لماذا فجأتينا بحرب أكتوبر لأن أرض مصر سيناء كانت محتلة الناس ممكن تعتب على دولة عربية إذا انفردت بقرار إذا خاضت حرب هجومية ضد جار ولا ضد طرف آخر أما عندما يكون شعب تحت احتلال هذا حقه الطبيعي لا أحد يسألون لماذا فعلتم ونسقتم ولم ترسقوا هل قامت إيران حتى اللحظة بما كنتم تتوقعون منها؟ هي كانت تتحدث في مراحل سابقة عن إزالة إسرائيل وظيفتنا أن نطلب وأن نذكر أما كل واحد يتحمل قراره كيف تفكرون في التعامل مع ملف الضهائن؟ ماذا مقابل ماذا؟ أولا كما قلت هؤلاء أسرى وقبل أتحدث عن الأسرى عندنا في أسرى عند العدو كما قلت في حوالي 5000 
500 كانوا قبل الان 10000 اسرائيل تجمع كل يوم 100 و200 والاف من الضفه الغربيه م. فبالتالي باختصار القانون عندنا يعني خلص اسرى مقابل اسرى احنا كان شليط اخذنا به 1000 زياده اليوم على عشرات من الضباط والجنود وان شاء الله سنبيض بهم السجون وكل ابنائنا وبناتنا في السوق من جميع الفصائل ان شاء الله Okay, so that was Al Arabiya. Is that what she said? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. So Al Arabiya is Saudi owned, you know, it's owned by the Saudi royal family. Saudi royal family is in an interesting position politically here. Um, the people of Saudi Arabia, of Arabia, support the Palestinians 100%. The government of Saudi Arabia was actually in the process of, uh, you know, the Abraham Accords and a whole the history of it, uh, of accommodating uh, Israel, that were really accommodating the United States because they're making money selling oil to the United States and to Europe and et cetera. And the government there really is a quisling government, you know, services the West. Um, there's a, you know, very uh, deep entanglement over petrodollars and other things. And they are the stewards of, of that, in essence. That's their job inside the global economy and global political economy. Uh, and so this entire situation presents them with a real problem because they are being asked and it's assumed that they're going to participate in preventing this slaughter that is about to happen it's in the process of happening of gaza for, for whatever motive or moral judgment one wants to make on what happened on on the 7th with the attack by hamas on on uh, both israeli military and that's yeah, a war crime that's what it is it's crime against it, humanity. It, it's one of many okay yes. yep. it's one in a succession and it's one that's precipitated i mean israel is declaring in essence whatever this was we're going to do it back to you 10 times which is a so war crime if it's a war crime we're going to commit a, a war crime 10 times the size of that yeah. now the people in the in region that are watching this are familiar with the history of this region, even if Americans and Canadians and Europeans are not. Um, and they, their objective measure of it is that we were all here before 1948 or before 1910 or whenever the migration started happening. And these people came in here from Europe and America, and then they took this land away from the people who lived on it, and they slaughtered a bunch of them, and they stole their land. And we think that's wrong and they should get the hell out. That's the position of most of the people on the ground in these countries, regardless of what their governments are doing. But there's been a, sort of a modus vivendi worked out where the people stay docile and the, the governments kind of keep a, an invisible hand on things. And the situation inside Israel and Palestine, even when it explodes, doesn't get too, re, too ridiculously out of hand. That has changed. And now the Saudi leadership has to consider the possibility. They've already acted in response to this. All right, they've backed away officially from their position of, of you know, a rapprochement with Israel. They've actually had this deal brokered uh, where they've reached a rapprochement of sorts with uh, both Iran and Syria. Um, and 
they they're taking sort of a similar public position on on what should happen. They're calling on the Israelis to you know to back off, not go into into Gaza. Um, the problem is that when the Israelis do go into Gaza, if the Saudis don't act, there's a very real possibility that the people will throw the government over and put and install someone or demand that someone come to power that will aid affirmatively uh, the uh, Palestinian people militarily. Uh, that That is a very real possibility. And obviously the repercussions for the global economy, let alone for the, the regional you know, military uh, situation, they're very grave. Um, I don't think it's possible to put that particular, you know, to smother that uh, smoldering uh, condition with any kind of water, political water, P giving them more money, you know, allowing a rise in the price, all the things that you know, all the palliatives you normally have. I don't think they'll work. And, and I think that what's happening is that there's a, a mindset in, in the uh, is another thing you have driving this is that Netanyahu is not popular and he stands on a very shaky uh, coalition. Um, and the minute he's not prime minister, he's uh, vulnerable to criminal prosecution. And there is a litany of criminal cases piled up waiting for him. And he goes to prison pretty quickly after he's not prime minister. And so the only way he really can remain prime minister, apparently in his mind, is this, you know, well, when we're at war, everyone supports, you know, the, the government. And so he has a, a, an affirmative incentive to not let this thing fizzle out. People are in the streets across Israel protesting him, some protesting him because, you know, he allowed this to happen in the first place. Others protesting him because he's you know, threatening to turn this whole thing into a giant conflagration. Um, and so he is standing on real shaky ground. And the only lever he has is to intensify the war, basically to kill more Palestinians and satisfy a bloodlust that partly was induced by this, certainly was massaged by this latest action that's been there as the glue under increasing settlements and pushing Palestinians further and further back. This is something that each one of the wars in 67 and 73 and whatever intensified. And the government has been moving to the right steadily over the last 60 years, basically. Netanyahu, when he first came to power 20 years ago or whatever, he was the far right of the political establishment at that time. He is now the most left member of the governing coalition. And, the, and, and one of the strong legs that that government stands on made him look like, I won't say a liberal beyond that, like, a, like you know, an ultra-liberal. That's, that's a fact on the ground in, in Israel also. Well, this is a, this is the fact in Toronto today. We have smoke bombs. We are Where? seeing. We seem to use some sort of weapons here. Funding 
recently from people in Washington, people in uh, Ottawa, uh, people in European capitals, too. Yeah, well, they were trying to breach a uh, police uh, barricade so that they could get onto the Gardner Expressway and block the highway, I guess. So things got a little out mm. of hand. It got pretty heated there in, uh, in T.O. today. And there were other there was a much larger protest down the road, huge, much bigger than the uh, the other protests that I showed uh, on our channel earlier this evening. Massive. Another massive protest. Um, I don't know, Don. Uh, things are pretty, uh, pretty unstable here. Yeah. Don't Unfortunately, like guys, we're going to have to put a bookmark on that and continue this conversation. Our second guest has arrived. And in fairness, I do want to give a flower to Arkady to hear the yeah. Israel position on this. So, and Don. My guest, him and you guys, thank you very much. Thank, thank you so hey, much, Don. I, uh, I, I challenged you a little bit there, just a little, but uh, I, I respect, <laughs> uh, I respect your views, sir. It's fine, brother. I'll catch up with you guys soon. Always okay. a pleasure. Same. Thanks so much, Don. Have a great night. Bye-bye, guys. Bye now. And I'd like to bring in our second guest, Arkady Itkin, a uh, friend of mine that I met uh, over at the U.S. Tour of Duty channel with Scott Rick. How's it going, Arkady? Great to see you. How are you? Thank you for having me, guys. I don't have nearly as much to say as Don, but hopefully it will be useful. <laughs> oh, I bet you do. <laughs> well, when you dated Scott Ritter, you hardly got a word in edgewise. So I wanted to bring you in. It's hard to debate Ritter. He talks very loud and very forcefully. And, and yet you defended your position so very well. And I thought it would be a good way to get this conversation rolling uh, to show people a little clip that debate. Now, this was like a long debate. You and Scott went at it for about two hours uh, last week. And if anybody missed it, I'm going to give you a taste of what went on. And boy, this was pretty hot. Take a look. Guys. And uh, also I want to let you know, we have another podcast on Monday nights called Scenes from the Evolution. And one of my co-hosts is Arkady Igen who uh, is a veteran of the Israeli army, and he'll be joining us now for a debate with Scott. Now, this uh, th we didn't really plan this or organize this. It's going to be very informal, and I don't even know uh, how Arkady feels about this article that was just published, but I do know a few days ago Arkady mentioned to me that he disagrees with some of Scott's uh, first comments and tweets. Uh, for example, there was a tweet that Scott uh, posted on October 7th, blaming it on Bibi Netanyahu, and uh, Arkady had some objections to that, both, I think, in terms of both tone and content, but I'll let Arkady explain. Uh, before we get to today's article, what, what was it that initially about you the other day, Arkady? I don't know. You know, I have a lot of respect for uh, Scott. Hello, everyone. And I felt like he's happy about what's going on. I'm sure he's not, but I almost felt like some kind of bloodthirst in the tone. And um, so that initially upset me. And um, as someone who really likes to provide context into the Russia-Ukraine conflict and telling all of the world that Putin didn't just wake up one day and did what they did, I wanted to hear some context about Gaza being open for many years and being closed and all the horrible things that Hamas has been inflicting on their people in Gaza and on Israel and keeping them oppressed and, and wasting their aid 
on God knows what in instead of turning Gaza into, into Singapore, which it could have easily been become. And I'm saying all that without justifying all the horrible things to which Palestinians have been subjected to. And I have a few other specific uh, disagreements with what Scott said in his recent streams that I could um, share on demand. All right, I demand it. What do you, what, please be specific. Okay, so Israelis don't call Palestinians animals, okay? So except a few psychos, extremist settlers that most Israelis don't like either, we only call Hamas and other terrorist animals because that's what they are. They're monsters, they do terrible things, and it doesn't achieve um, anything. Palestinians have legitimate grievances with Israel, but the majority of them are, of course, are, are of course uh, not murderers. There is a reason Gaza is closed, by not only by Israel, but also by Egypt, and Jordanians don't seem to be welcoming them either. Gaza used to be open. Israelis used to go there, shop there, vacation there, without addressing whether Israel stole the land or not in 1948, whether they have the right to exist or not. They don't enjoy keeping Gaza locked up. They feel like they need to. It's a terrible situation, and uh, Israelis don't enjoy it. It's a huge burden on them financially and militarily. Now, a lot of people, I think, including Scott, uh, recommend a two-state solution. My question is very simple. How do you create a two-state solution when you have a group within Gaza, with even the West Bank doesn't agree, who say, we don't want two-state solution. We don't have equality. That's not enough. No deal. From river to sea, Palestine is going to be free. How? Do, what? What is your solution if you had it your way? That's my first question. My second question is, if Mexicans decided to say that we want our land back and they started walking through our border and blow buses up and stab random people and blow up, they have the right for right. What would America do? Would they fly over Mexico and start bombing, them, trying to minimize collateral damage? What else would they do? I don't know. All right, before you respond to that, Scott, the other day you probably remember, I can't remember if it was a, a military leader or a politician who was widely quoted as calling either all Palestinians or Hamas terrorists animals. And I asked you that question. I said, Scott, are you sure he's referring to all uh, Palestinians? And you said, yes, you think he is. Um, nonetheless, I think Arkady's point is he doesn't necessarily speak for all people. But how would you like to respond? Well, I first want to say that nobody speaks for all people. That would be sort of the um, say. But but he is. Uh, let me let me ask this to Arkady. When you heard that statement, did you immediately call whoever you have contacts with in Israel and demand his resignation instantly? Did you immediately call somebody and say that man speaks for all of Israel and he just humiliated us by articulating a cognizable war crime? Because that's what he did. Uh, do you ask for his resignation or did you do what every other Israeli did and say, hell yeah, bring it on. It's time to get revenge. And my gut feeling is, I mean, I'll let you answer for yourself, but having not heard anybody else in Israel demand his immediate resignation, my gut feeling is that most Israelis, overcome by the emotion of what happened on Saturday, um, were like, yeah, bring it on. It's time. It's payback. Payback. And that's the feeling I get from the Israelis right now. They want payback. The problem with payback is payback, the way it's being done right now, is a war crime. And there's no way to justify a war crime. Never. Uh, editor, if I ever hear anybody say 
we get to do this because of what happened to us. I say, you've lost all moral authority at that point in time. A war crime is never justified, and professionals, professionals should know this. But so what, specifically, what specifically is the war crime, crime Scott? Calling people animals or something else? Collective punishment is the war crime. No ifs, ands, or buts. They are bombing the living shit out of two million people. They are slaughtering innocents, and they know this. Look, Arcade, I don't know what you did in the Israeli military. I don't know what, what it was. I worked with Israeli intelligence, and I have a lot of respect for the, qual the professionalism of them. I will tell you right now that they know damn well that Hamas ain't occupying the sixth floor of the apartment building that they occupied back for this conflict. They know that Hamas went underground. They know that Hamas isn't teaching a class in the university. And yet they blew up the university, they leveled it, they leveled the apartment blocks, and they're killing thousands of people, hundreds of children as part of collective punishment. They are trying to create the conditions to compel a million Gazans to flee North Gaza so that Israel can move in. It's a war crime. It's a war crime, plain and simple. No ifs, ands, or buts, but nobody is talking about it because it's payback. It's payback. Boy, I tell you what, Scott Ritter has taken an abrupt turn. He's gone a full 180. You know, this is a guy who used to work with Israeli intelligence, was very pro-Israel. Just uh, last week, he put out a, an article saying, this is why I no longer support Israel. And he's turned, I mean, just today, he put out a tweet that even shocked me. And I, I love Scott dearly, but... I mean, his emotions are involved. He just it, tweet said, fuck Israel, damn them all, God damn them all to hell, is what he said. Uh, so, Arkady, I know you didn't get a chance to say much in that debate with Ritter. You did your best. <laughs> it's hard to debate that guy. So I wanted to give you a chance to come on the show tonight, spend an hour with us. We promise not to interrupt. And let you tell us, as, from your perspective, because you grew up in Israel, you served in the idea, and I'd like to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. Thank you. And feel free to interrupt because I want to answer as many questions. I also want to say that Scott Reader, I thought, was remarkably easy to debate. I think he was less aggressive with me, which I appreciate it, too. So um, I actually listened to Dan and Rick's uh, debate. I'm Citing much more with Rick, almost every question that Rick asked and every response came into my mind. But um, let me say by way of introduction that my views are very typical of a mainstream Israeli who is non-religious, not settler, not too fanatical one way or the another. And by that, I mean not someone who wants the whole thing or someone wants to give everything away. I am your average mainstream, typical Tel Aviv, maybe slightly away from the left um, Israeli. and. Um, I don't want to be pro-Israel, and I don't want to be pro-Palestine. Pro I want to be pro-solution. Now, one thing, is one thing, if you travel to Israel, you will see, it will be very refreshing to you, is that the majority of Israelis recognize the problems they have, the problems that the Palestinians have. They want solution. They recognize the injustices, the historic injustices that occurred to Palestinians. Also, you will see many wonderful things. I think we have Mayan here who talk about 
Israeli Arabs, how many of them do so well in Israel, how many Palestinians live quite well in Ramallah and Nablus, and I haven't been to Gaza, but it's not all bad and it's not all dark, especially during peacetime. There's a lot of things to be proud of, and there are a lot of people get along. Uh, you know, Palestinians, when things are peaceful, when the checkpoints are open, they come, they work, they make a good living, they go back home, they have nice lives. Now, do they have all the rights that they should have? No, it's an issue and it needs to be addressed. Freedom of travel, freedom of employment, freedom of purchasing real estate in this area versus this area. Are settlements that are expanding an issue? Absolutely. So, from my perspective, both sides are right and both sides are wrong. And I see two problems. I've been thinking about it over the last few days. I see two problems. Number one, you know, this Zionist, uh, homeland-loving, BB-type attitude of, I'm going to make it really hard on the other side to negotiate anything. I'm going to try to get as much as I can out of this deal because i got to protect my Jewish state. This has to be Jewish state, the Zionism. The other side is Hamas. Like I mentioned with Scott, they don't want equality. You just saw this interview. If you had any doubts when you played the interview with the Hamas leader, they want war for the sake of war. Their charter calls for decimation of Jews, period. Not it just does. Israel. Literally then you get your chance from the river to the sea. I went to this nice vigil in San Francisco the other day. And um, uh, all of a sudden, I hear glory to the martyrs. Are you kidding me? I mean, I can't imagine how that would make you feel when you hear yeah, that. I mean, uh, the the delusion, and uh, I mean, to me, it looked like a circus. I mean, I'm used to, I'm used to it, but to hear it in San Francisco from white people who couldn't find it on a map, who couldn't find Gaza on a map, glory to the martyrs. Do you understand what you're saying? So, two state solution that everybody's talking about. How do you achieve that if you have a group? at least one group that says we will not rest our arms until Israel is over and the other loftier goal is the Jews are over. Now, Golda Meir said something back in the day that's still true. If Israel, if, if, um, Israel puts arms down, there will be no longer Israel. There's no question about it. If the other side puts their arms down, there will be peace, no question about it. I'll just make caveat peace, but there will be issues of discrimination, of certain issues relating to occupation and non-equality of right between Israelis and Palestinians that will have to be worked out. There will be no violence. Let me address a few things that Dan says. I reject any justification of what happened on October 7th. Not a single time an Israeli soldier or whatever went on the streets with a machine gun and started shooting random people or going into houses, kidnapping people. Is there police brutality sometimes? Are there incidents among Israeli army? Absolutely, yes. Just like in any other military. Is there collateral damage when you're walking around with a gun and you're arresting people, you're searching for people who cause problems and you accidentally shoot the wrong people or you bomb the wrong people? Absolutely, like in any like in any war. So uh, there's no justification for what happened to October 7th because it was disgusting. It was completely unproductive. It achieved nothing. It only caused a lot of harm to everyone, including Palestinians. I reject any type of comparison to concentration camps. Are you kidding me? Are you really being literal? You're comparing people who were starved and gassed 
for nothing to some issues, some legitimate issues that Palestinians have with the freedom of travel and freedom of rights sounds to me like a bit of an exaggeration. And it doesn't help the credibility of people who compare it to South African apartheid and puppeting, puppeting all these terms like apartheid and, um, and uh, concentration camp. Um, I like what Rick Walker said. Uh, we need to be pragmatic. And I want to be pragmatic. Bibi probably has to go. Hamas has to go. Bibi will be gone sooner or later, one way or the other. I don't know if Hamas will be gone. Um, let's see what else I wanted to address. Um, this leftist attitude of justifying horrible things like justifying looting and rioting during George Floyd riots or justifying uh, October 7th saying that you have to look at it at, in a context. No, when you do that, you can justify any crime and I'm against it. I don't want to justify crimes. Now, let's look at what Israel does. What are the options? One option is to do nothing after what happened. They know, they know very well, based on history, what will happen. The vultures will smell blood and they will attack them. The other option is doing what they're doing now. I'm not sure what it's going to achieve. Is that a good strategy? I don't know. Apparently, that's what countries do when something like this happened. That's what we did during 9-11 on a much larger scale. I don't know what they're planning and what the, what the outcome that they're looking for and how they're going to root out the ideology. Maybe they want to inflict serious blow to Hamas. And they're hoping that, um, they're hoping that it will, if not permanently disable Hamas, at least it will significantly weaken them and will discourage them from doing something like this in the future. Now, one more thing before I'll ask you to ask any follow-up questions. If you go to Israel today, despite everything that happened, you will be very surprised to see how little hate there is from Israelis toward Palestinians if the, or Muslims or Israeli Arabs. If nothing, uh, if nothing, there is empathy, there is compassion and understanding. Overall, of course, they're crazies that, you know, they lost... Also, there are people who lost their loved ones in these horrible incidents, and that translates into hate. But in general, despite all that, Jews in Israel have very little to no hate toward uh, the other side. Rick Walker, you want to chime in with a follow-up? Well, I just want to address that comment that was up on the screen about Canada turning away the Jews. There was a ship with 900 people. Jews that came from Germany. It was turned away from Cuba. The United States turned it away. That's Canada right. also turned it away. Canada has acknowledged it. We've embraced the 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 shame of that, and we've apologized for it. And we did accept many Jews here. We accepted a lot of Ukrainian Nazis too, as it turns out. <laughs> Well, a lot of Ukrainians, not necessarily all Ukrainian Nazis, but if you want to continue hunting dead Nazis, you might find you know, a few dead ones. You might find a couple of living ones. The, the guy you found in, uh, in, in Parliament is 98. And, you know, that war has been over for quite a while. And, you know, we can keep dealing in sort of cliches and 
and relitigating World War II, or we can find solutions to the problems today. And unfortunately, this whole narrative about the Nazi in Parliament has honestly given cover to some of the actual Nazis that are present today who want to exterminate the Jewish people in Israel. They're hiding behind this narrative saying, see, you're calling me a Nazi. That guy's the Nazi. The government's the Nazis. Well, they actually are the guys that we really need to be worrying about. Unfortunately, that's the unintended consequence of a lot of the media attention that's been focused on this very thing. It's it's going back to revisit the past when we've got a really serious problem in front of us right now, and it's masking it. Well, not to dwell too much on the past, but I am a historian, and I think it's important to point out, I was going to say it while Don DeBar was here, but we ran out of time. Um, and you probably know this history because you're from Israel. Um, in the Second World War, the Palestinians, the Arabs, were Nazi collaborators. There was a guy named Min al-Husani, the Mufti. Um, he was a good friend of Adolf Hitler and the top Nazis, um, so much so that the Palestinians were declared honorary Aryans by Nazi Germany. They it basically al-Husani, I liken him to the Stefan Bandera of Palestine. They were fighting the Allies for the same reasons that Bandera and the Ukrainian nationalists were doing it. They were doing it for the promise, maybe a promise, although Hitler never actually made them the promise of independence for their state, for their people. Uh, that's the reason the Ukrainian nationalists joined forces with Nazi Germany. That's the reason why the Palestinians, the Arabs, were fighting on the side of, uh, of the Axis. Also, uh, people say, well, that's ancient history. It doesn't matter now. But it does. Al-Husani was uh, a mentor and a cousin of Yasser Arafat. And the uh, Muslim Brotherhood and the PLO and all that started there to this day folks in certain sectors of the Palestinian resistance. Al-Husani is still looked upon as a hero, and Adolf Hitler is still looked upon as a hero. Do you like to comment, Arkady? Yeah, you know, I very interesting information that um, I've become recently aware of, too. Um, I don't want to label, and I don't want to believe that Palestinians are real Nazis, but to the extent that they've been brainwashed through cartoons, through movies, through the pictures of martyrs on every wall in the West Bank, and I'm sure in Gaza, to hate Israel and to hate Jews for every little thing. If that makes them Nazis, maybe. But going back to this issue of property, all this discussion with Dan about property rights that we created, we created the rules uh, in the West, and who was there first? Again, it's not productive, it's not it's not pragmatic. Just like people wouldn't like if Russia said, well, Kiev became Russian in 1667 or whatever, when it was conceded in the war with Poland. Going back 3,000 years, 50 years, 100 years is unproductive and it's not pragmatic. It doesn't solve the problem. Just like Rick said earlier, Jews have to live there, Palestinians have to live there. And back to what Scott said, with which I agreed, we need to find compromise. Compromise will be possible if one side decides that they don't want the complete extermination of the other side. 
I don't care how many people out there call Israel genocidal state, ethnic cleansing. No one is looking to genocide Palestinians. Israel needs Palestinians. I'm sorry to sound so condescending. They need the labor for all the major construction. They need the farmers. They need the people who work. They, they, they need the workforce, if nothing else. Now, are they going the best way about achieving whatever goals that they have with regard to Hamas? You can argue about that. Are unfortunate things happen when you have this conflict? Sure. Genocide, ethnic cleansing, to me it's a joke because I've been there. Once you step foot on that land, a couple of days later you will be rolling eyes if you ever believe that. Like, how could I ever believe that? So it, on the inverse of that, mm -hmm. you know, we hear from the pro-Palestinian side that, and there's the comment right there on the screen, that Israel, the Zionists are the current day Nazis. What is your response to that? There is a group of settlers that are very extreme. They believe that they're entitled to be somewhere over everyone else. Many of them come from America. If that makes them Nazis, um, possibly. To label the entire country as Nazis is ridiculous and it's not even worth addressing. And any person who feels that way, they owe it to themselves, if they feel that strongly, to travel, to talk to Israelis, to talk to Israeli Arabs, to talk to Palestinians. Many of the Arabs and Palestinians will be afraid to talk on the camera. Don't want to be on the camera. No Israeli is afraid to be on the camera. Bring it on, right? And then it will clarify their own misconceptions um, to them. You know, I want to show you a clip here from the uh, commander of Israel's Defense Forces, of which you were once a member, uh, talking about the ground invasion that they are preparing to launch into Gaza. Um, this is pretty intense, guys. Take a look at this. המפקדות הכי טובות שלנו, הכוחות הכי טובים שלנו, אתם. אני מאמין בכם אמונה גדולה, שלמה, אמיתית, יסודית. אני מאמין בכוח, במקצועיות ובעיקר ברוח של כולם, שתביא אותנו לניצחון. Into Gaza, your thoughts on this uh, ground invasion? You know, I'm very concerned. I don't know if it's the best option, but uh, is there a better option? I I don't quite understand what they're trying to achieve and how they're going to go about it. Or is it a suicide mission? Is it worth it? Is it worth sacrificing a lot of people in an urban warfare, which is guaranteed to be very difficult and full of surprises? Um, is bombing, car bombing buildings, hoping that you're destroying infrastructure and maybe killing one Hamas leader here and there. Is that productive? What, Hamas is going to run out of people who they can appoint as leaders? I don't know. I'm hoping that I don't know enough to appreciate what they're doing.
but what other options do they have? What are they supposed to do? That is the question. Yeah, somebody says it's a trap. Yeah, it's possible that it's a trap. They knew all along, 100% Hamas knew that in response to October 7th, this is exactly what was going to happen. So that makes me feel that it's more likely or not some kind of trap. It does feel that way. It feels like they are walking right into a trap because, of course, Hamas is underground. It's the civilians who are above ground who are suffering and dying such crazy numbers. I think we're up to, what, over 4,000 in the last two weeks, uh, which is more than twice of what Israel lost in the, in the October 7th attacks. Uh, those numbers are only going to grow. Um, Rick, did you want to jump in on this? I think that that's probably not a, a totally inaccurate assessment. And I think that Moss is quite willing to sacrifice as many people as it takes, um, whether they're suicide bombers or people that they put in harm's way by inviting an attack like this by doing what they did in the 7th. Uh, because this is, as much as anything else, a public relations war. And uh, sometimes in a situation like this, you can win by losing because you become a martyr. You become the victim in the eyes of international opinion. And is is if, if that's what happens here, and I, I believe that it largely is, then support for Israel will diminish. You could see military support be pulled, in which case, as I've said before, when that happens, Israel will cease to exist. And the mass genocide that Hitler always dreamed of will become a reality. That's what we're facing. Let me address a few comments here. Uh, e. Moji says, if you need their labor, they deserve full civic rights. I 100% agree if they stop stabbing every day, shooting, blowing up buses. And, you know, you could say, well, they're doing it as part of resistance. I understand the bottom line is that it has been happening every day. When I moved to Israel, buses were blowing up every single day. Uh, and 50 people were just slashed. Random people, not necessarily soldiers, who have nothing to do with what's going on. Okay. So, um, and Screw Google says uh, w, uh, World War II Germany was and is referred to as Nazi Germany. Current day Israel does to Palestinians exactly what Nazi Germany did to European Ashkenazi Jews, if the shoe fits. Um, tiny bit of an exaggeration. And uh, again, it takes the travel there to realize how ridiculous this sounds. Well, when you talk about Nazi atrocities, mm -hmm. and let's remember that the Palestinian resistance during World War II was trained by they had Waffen SS. They, I think they had about 12,000 Palestinians serving in the Waffen SS in the Middle East. Um, where did they learn what they do? And I just want to remind people, be fair, what happened on October 7th, because, boy, people sure seem to have amnesia about the savage brutality that we saw. Whether you agree or disagree with the 40 beheaded babies story, that's leave that out of the discussion for a moment. Let's talk about the other 1,400 victims. I'm going to play you a clip here. This is a, a young woman, an American, who was at the music festival, and she managed to survive 
the onslaught, but uh, she spoke to her local TV station in New York yesterday and told a harrowing story of what she saw and what she survived. Meanwhile, the Moss attack on the music festival in southern Israel, you know, it killed 260 people. It left so many others wounded, but we are now hearing incredible stories of survival. This is from people who attended that very festival. Natalie Sanandaji of Great Neck, Long Island, she was there when she literally ran for her life when rockets began flying overhead. Yesterday, she went to Washington to tell her frightening story to members of Congress. All right, this morning, Natalie is here with us on Good Day, New York. Thank God. You're safe and sound. I'm sure your family must be so happy that you're home. Yeah, they're definitely relieved to have me home. Okay, so what happened? You went to Israel for a friend's wedding, yeah. and you were looking forward to this concert, something that you were planning to go to. Yeah. Describe that day. Is it very, first of all, I should ask you, is it okay to ask you to describe what happened? Yes, honestly, I feel that possibly as a response to the trauma, I feel a bit detached from the situation, but I think it gave me the power to tell my story over and over again without breaking down. So mm. it is okay. I can go into detail about it. At around 6.30, I was at the festival. I was one of the only the only Americans from all of my friend group there. Everyone else was Israeli. One of the girls had come up to me to explain to me that some rockets had been intercepted overhead. She's very calm about the situation. She said that it's normal for the area that we're in. This happens sometimes. It might just be a few, and then hopefully the party will continue. Try to imagine anywhere else in the world where a festival is going on and young kids see rockets intercepted over their head and they think, oh, it's fine. That wouldn't really happen anywhere else in the world, but this is a reality for most Israeli citizens. They've been in bomb shelters countless times in their life. After a few minutes, we obviously realized this isn't just any other ordinary situation. The rockets just kept coming and kept coming. Eventually, the security of the festival had turned off the music, asked everyone to evacuate to their cars. As we're evacuating to our cars, we still had no idea that there were terrorists on foot so close to us with guns. We thought it was just rockets. I decided to go to the bathrooms by the, the festival exit area before we went to our car. A few days ago, I saw a video surface of terrorists going to those exact bathrooms and just shooting at every bathroom stall, trying to kill anyone who was inside. That was one of the hardest videos for me to see since surviving this massacre because I was in those bathrooms moments before. Mm. And if I was there moments later, I might not be here today. Mm. After we got to our cars, the festival security tried to get everyone to safety to the best of their ability. Most of them died doing so. Eventually, they asked everyone to pull their cars over and get out of their cars and run. And at first, we couldn't understand why until we first heard the first gunshots. And that's when we realized that being in our cars and being in such a condensed area with so many cars made us a very easy target for the terrorists. We got out of our cars as soon as we heard the first gunshots. We started to run. Nobody knew what direction to run in. Nobody knew what direction was the direction of safety. Kids were running in every direction. One of the most terrifying things was running in a certain direction, thinking that I'm running to safety, and then seeing dozens of children running in my direction, mm. realizing that they're running from a terrorist, they're running from being shot at. Oh, no. And I now have to make a split-second decision and run in another direction and try to save my own life.
Talk to us about once you felt like you finally got to a place where maybe you could be safe. Did you feel any relief at all? Honestly, it took about four hours until yeah. we got to safety. At a certain point while we were running, I remember passing by a ditch with maybe 10, 15 kids hiding in it. And they told me and my friends to come hide with them. And we almost did until one of my friends said, if we hide in this ditch and the terror come from above us, we have nowhere to run. Yeah. We ended up deciding to continue running. And we later found out that all the kids who hid in that ditch mm. did get sh oh. shot and killed. After about four hours of running, we decided to sit under a tree, get some shade. We've been running in the sun for hours with no water. A white pickup truck is driving in our direction, and we're sitting with about 15 other kids. And we were I remember looking at everyone, and we all kind of, our first reaction was thinking, this is this a terrorist yeah. coming to kill us. Yeah. And we kind of all like half got up and then realized, where are we going to run to? We have nowhere to go. And we kind of all just like sat back down and accepted our fate. If this is a terrorist, then that's it. This is the end. Thankfully enough, it wasn't. It was a man from the nearby town of Patish, which is a town that we were told to run to. He left the safety of his town and he came towards all of this, wow. risking his own life to save innocent children. I never even got to thank him. We all got into the back of his pickup truck. He dropped us off in his town. And as soon as he drops off, he turned right back around yeah. to risk his life all over to save more kids. And I, I wish I could thank him. But... You can. You have the opportunity right now to say what you want to say to him, to someone that, that risked their life to save yours. If he's seeing this right now, then I just want to say thank you because if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't be here today. Wow. What did you want members of Congress to know yesterday? And what was that experience like? Um, it was quite surreal. I never thought I would be in such a position speaking to people with so much power. And I just want them to know how much Israel needs their support right now. Mm. That our enemy... Did you talk to the president? Is that the president? I can't say. Uh, no, I spoke to um, uh, the second uh, gentleman. Okay. Um, so what I wanted them to know, how much Israel needs their support and how much Israel's enemy is also America's enemy. We're fighting against a terrorist organization mm. that is being supported by other terrorist organizations that have attacked U.S. soil in the past. And from speaking to them, I think most of them understand that, and I, I think that most of them are there for Israel and are going yes. to support Israel. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I'm sure your family is so happy that you're back. Yes. We're happy that you're back, Thank too. Thank you. Thank you for Safe having me. Safe and sound. And prayers to everybody. Thank you. Who you were there with. I know prayers to a lot of people that are back, but they're going back to Israel. Even a lot of my friends who survived this massacre have now re-enlisted in the army to fight for their country and are risking their lives all over again. Yeah. And Natalie, I just pray for them. Yeah. Natalie Sanandaji, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having me absolutely harrowing to hear that and i i've heard you know over the past two weeks story after story especially in the small villages not just at the music festival but when they talk about forcing people into a ditch and shooting them to death i read a lot of world war ii history guys and even pre-world war ii history of the pogroms that happened in ukraine 
in parts of the Soviet Union. That's what the Nazis did. That's what the Ukrainian nationalists did. They would round them up, take them out, put them in a ditch, and kill them. Arkady, in your long history in the Israeli armed forces, did you ever know of the Israeli army doing things like that to Palestinians? The bad thing they do, we do have an element of extreme. They, they're usually, ironically, they're usually Sephardic. The people who look the most like Palestinians, they also tend to be very patriotic. I will die for Israel. I will do whatever it takes. So they can be a little bit hateful or a lot. Usually it's more bark than bite. They can be a little bit harsher, a little bit more rude, but to randomly shoot people. First of all, you're going to jail for a long time. You're going to be investigated. You're going to go to jail. Nobody's going to be dancing and celebrating. When that happened in Maharata Machpelah, in the, there was a mass shooting by an extreme extremist Israeli. Nobody was celebrating. That's a shameful mark on Israel's history. So absolutely not. Um, so why would they want to repeat what was done to them? And yet there are many who say that that is what the Zionist state of Israel does today is that they, you know, they say that hurt people hurt people and that maybe Look, they it, are acting out the horrors of the Holocaust upon the weaker Palestinians. So let me address that. Uh, you can accuse them of expansion beyond what they should be expanding under the law. You can accuse them of having questionable claims to that land in the first place. And um, um, we can debate that. And then the second part that you mentioned, I'm sorry. Uh, I, was, I was just asking about revisiting the Holocaust on their Palestinian neighbors. So no chance of that. However, the response now, this extreme response that people refer to as retaliation, can potentially be a product of survival mode, which is caused in part by the PTSD from Holocaust survivors, from, from the Holocaust, plus all the other wars, all the other attempts by their neighbors to decimate them and to wipe them off the face of the earth. And this is a survival instinct. Um, so we cannot relate to that. This country is 50 times bigger. We have way more space. We don't have enemies who do this to us right next to our houses. We cannot really relate to that. No. So, no. Thank God. I mean, I hope we never have to relate to that. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I wonder, though, when I see the direction that our country is going and how divided we are. Um, I, I wanted to address the protest because you guys were showing them. There's a remarkable yeah. lecture called Why the Left Hates Israel. Remarkable from Ayn Rand Institute. And uh, one of the premises there is very simple. The left supports the underdog, no further questions asked. BLM, trans, uh, Gaza, Palestine, uh, women. If there's an underdog, they're gonna come out, especially if George <laughs> and Soros- And don't forget Ukraine, right? You get all these woke leftists marching in the streets going, Slava Ukraini, because they are the underdog against big bad Russia. No further questions asked, no context, no reasons, no detail, no nuance matters. And if George Soros tells them to come out and chant and gives them nice flags and flyers, they're going to be out in every city whenever he tells them to. And uh, this is a very dangerous approach not to take nuance and context into consideration. 
Absolutely. Rick? I would go beyond that, and maybe you want to comment on this. I would say that it's also this anti-Semitism, this rise in anti-Semitism that I think is present in the left-wing political ideology, you know, the oppressed versus the oppressor. If if you view Jews as the money changers, the people who control banking, the people who control media, they are the elites, they are the oppressors. And so if you subscribe to a socialist or a communist ideology, it's very easy, therefore, to then just look at the Jews as the oppressors. And that is why you're seeing the the left so willingly align themselves in a very strange way with these this neo-fascistic Nazi um, way of thinking or even ideology and um, and action that we're it seeing. It is so strange, isn't it, Rick? It, it's it does seem strange. That is, I'm I'm in my view, that's why because they look at them as the oppressor because they're being subjected to the same kind like this this information online the information warfare it's like as i said before i came on here over on my other broadcast people are being fed this new language they're they're changing the words so that a word like elite will soon be and i'm seeing it already among certain even live streamers like people like Stu Peters, right? Mm. Who are interchanging word. They're going to interchange it, change that word elite. It's a Jew. euphemism for Jews. Jew. It's a, it's right. because, Oh, look, they control the, it's the age old story, right? Oh, they control the banks. They have all the money. They control everything. They are, they control the corporations. They control the government. They, they're the oppressor. And so, that's how they channel that anger, right? It's um, it, it's propaganda, and it's very powerful right now. And when you play with the language, the way I would say, Lori, you know, it, when I say communist, people on the left, I'm really referring to a certain strain of it. Not Thank every you communist. for clarifying that. Okay? It's, it's a strain. <laughs> Let's not forget that the Red Army liberated the concentration camps. Well, tr yes, but also, you know, you go back in in. And shades of gray here, right? It's everything is not black and white. And anti-Semitism was rampant around the world. You know, it was way worse. And in the Soviet Union back in the twenty, it was everywhere. Right. Right. Everywhere. You know, That's why that ship that we I just mentioned it was turned away from multiple countries, not just Canada. That is it correct. was everywhere. Yep. To, to to just single out a single country or a single group of people, it's it's just not fair. It's oh, the United accurate. States came very close to siding with the Axis in World War II. They it could did. have gone either way. And even John F. Kennedy, there's pictures of him hanging out with Nazis after the war when he's getting the space program running. You know, so you, it's well, like, it's fair. Jack didn't bring them over here. It's everywhere. But it's already there. So, like, Oh, there's one in Parliament. There's one with JFK. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. you can you can keep going, and you. Can, it, my God, let's work on solutions instead of focusing on all these. Well, look at this in 1947. 
Like, I mean, come on. I know, I know. And I, I only bring up history because I truly believe that those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And I so much historical ignorance. I mean, look at what just happened in the Indian Parliament a few weeks ago, where every member of Parliament and Prime Minister all claimed not to know who was fighting Russia in World War II. Are they really that uneducated? And if they are, I feel a responsibility to educate them. You know, guys, I <clears throat> I was so naive. I always, you know, made fun of all the Jews who were pulling out the victim card, anti-Semitism. I thought it was a figment of their imagination until I saw some of the comments after October 7, even on our stream with Scott, like how yeah. much slur and are people joking? Are they serious? They said um, some terrible things towards yeah, yeah. And I, I had no idea people felt that way. I was hoping that they were joking, but uh, I couldn't imagine. Um, one more thing about protests. It doesn't apply to... Uh, the entire world, but at least it applies to San Francisco, Seattle. I don't think these protests are genuine. These people are protesting specifically here in San Francisco while there are drugged out homeless people laying right next to them. They're homeless. They're vacant businesses who haven't been refilled since the lockdowns. These people never even thought about coming out protesting. Are you telling me that they care that much about some obscure conflict, one of the many conflicts that are going on? There are problems in Kurdistan. There is problems in, in, uh, in Kashmir. There are problems with Houthi rebels in Saudi Arabia. Are you telling me they really care that much about Gaza more? Give me a break. Great point. And you know, these are the same woke liberals who were out there marching through San Francisco. No. Say in Slava Ukraine, and they love or Black Ukraine Lives Matter. They never and met a black person. They've never had a black friend. They pushed <laughs> them all out with price. They priced them all out uh, right. to God knows where. They're and in Oakland. They, they can't afford yeah. to live in San yeah. Francisco. Yeah, even further, and now they're chanting about ra racial justice. So there's a lot of hypocrisy. I'm justifying what's going on with that. That's not a justification. I'm with Rick. We should stop looking what happened 100 years, 300 years, stop looking at property rights. We need to look at solutions because it's unproductive to look back. Just like what that guy from Hamas said is unproductive. War, war, resistance, resistance. Resi Beautiful words. Where are they getting you? Because as I've been trying to say over and over, I have been saying this over and over again. It's Yes, it is important to know your history. But the most important thing we can learn from history is that we have to, at some point, let it go. Otherwise, you're doomed to repeat it because some people are determined to repeat it. Let me talk about relitigated over yeah. and over and over again. You know, after the war ended, the war ended in World War II. Okay? Like it was over. So the killing had to stop. So it stopped. So let's let that lay where let's let let that sleeping dog lie. Not not dig up the dead Nazis. We've got real life Nazis we have to deal with right now. That's not helpful. It's not productive. Deal with the new guys because they're hiding behind all of this stuff. We've got a real problem, and these guys are are getting away with lying and misrepresenting themselves. We've got real problems to deal with. We're not addressing that at all right now because we're focused on stuff that happened 78 years ago. 
This is not helpful. We've we've got a real emergency on our hands. Solutions yeah. today. And so um, don't repeat the history. And I hear that when Americans go to Vietnam, treated very well. So if Vietnam can forgive what happened 50 years ago, then who who are we not to be able to forgive, right? And um and Japan, for God's sake, we dropped two nuclear bombs on Japan, and yet we have good relations today for the most Have part. we had any suicide kamikaze since World War II on our land from Japan? I don't think so. These are the most law-abiding, calm, respectful people ever. And we put them in internment camps during World War II. I haven't heard any requests for reparations. And now Germany is our ally. Yeah. Yeah. So everything can be forgiven if the mind is in the right place because there is no better option. There's no better option. And going 70, rehashing history, you kicked me out of my house. What, what to do? What's the do? The, is uh, is a lot of these Hamas people? They tell European Jews to go back home to Europe. Okay. Well, what about the Sephardic Jews? More than fifty percent of Israel are Jews from Iraq, Morocco, Yemen. Apparently, they were kicked out from their houses in 1948, and they were told you have a state. Go there now. Should they go back to Morocco, Yemen, and Iraq and Iran and reclaim their property, knock on those people's doors? How far back do you go? Well, we could go all the way back, back to 1917 and the Balfour Declaration, which I personally believe was a horrible mistake. That's the root of all of the problem today. And one last historical note, um, I actually believe whatever you may think of Joseph Stalin, I think that Stalin actually had the correct idea after World War II. Uh, he forbade uh, Jews in the Soviet Union to emigrate to Israel because what he wanted to do was create autonomous zones inside the Soviet Union protected by the Red Army to make sure that there would be no more violence or incursions against the Jews. And I actually think that that made a lot more sense than, you know, importing all of these European Jews into Arab land, or we can argue whose land it is, but the Arabs certainly saw it that way. Um, I believe that that was a huge mistake, and we've been paying the price ever since on both sides. Your thoughts, Arkai? Yeah, yeah. And uh, this reminds me, we fail to look at people as a mixed bag, Bibi Netanyahu, Hamas leaders, Stalin. They're not 100% evil or 100% great. Everybody had great ideas. You don't become Stalin or Bibi or Hitler by being a complete idiot. So we can learn things from all of them. We don't have to kill millions of people. We don't have to repress freedom of speech. But when uh, we can learn um, a lot of things and... Um, you know, I mentioned it before. I don't think people think it's important or relevant, but going, I have Palestinian friends here going there to Palestinian territories. When I'm in Israel, I make it a point to go. I like to see how they live, what they have to say. These are some of the most charismatic people. And um, I'm hoping more of them will put their charisma in the right direction, on the right track, regardless of politics and their warmth that they have, the hospitality. And, um, Hopefully, when things come down and when the peace is achieved, one of the wonderful things that the peace can bring is for the rest of the world to enjoy that unique one-of-a-kind place with one-of-a-kind culture. 
Um, and uh, you know, that includes Iran, Afghanistan. It's just painful that some of the most wonderful and unique and vibrant places are also the most messed up now, politically so and militarily. True. So true. So, Some of the most beautiful places in the world are war zones right now. Russia, Ukraine, now the Middle East. Um, and you know, I, I, I know running out of time, but I'd like to kind of bring the show to a close with a, a focus on the hostages. Um, as far as we know, anyway, the count that we had was 203. I guess that's down to 201 now because yesterday two American hostages were released and uh, the uh, local TV station got to speak to the young lady's father. And I wanted you to hear. Uh, Developing right remark. now at 10, a Denver man's family kidnapped by Hamas nearly two weeks ago has been released by the terror group. Yeah, this image you see right here, it shows the mother and daughter being escorted by Israeli military across the border. Fox 31's Talia Cunningham hearing from loved ones about their harrowing journey to safety. She's on it all new at 10. Well, Andrea, this is the outcome that the Renan family was hoping for, the safe return of Judith and Natalie here. That's their reality. Family says that they're doing well tonight and both in good spirits after a brief phone call and appear to have no major physical injuries, but they're currently at a hospital in Israel for observation. So Natalie and Judith Renan were visiting family in Israel when the rockets started going off back on October 7th and they were captured by Hamas. Ben Rana, who lives right here in Denver, told me last week that family last heard from his 17-year-old sister and stepmother that day, and they shared that they were actually hiding in their home, and that's when their phone shut off. According to the White House, they were released just this morning and are safely in the hands of Israeli authorities tonight. Just a few hours ago, Natalie's father and loved one sharing their elation, saying this is the best day of their lives. I haven't been sleeping for two weeks. Tonight, I'm going to sleep good. I spoke with my daughter earlier today. She sounds very good. She looks very good. She was very happy. And she's waiting to come home. I'm going to hug her and kiss her. And uh, it's going to be the best day of my life. Yeah, it sure is. He added that Eric kept him going this whole time. Ten more Americans are still unaccounted for tonight, and more than 200 people are still being held hostage as of now. President Joe Biden says that he spoke with Judith and Natalie today, and they'll be reunited with their loved ones soon. Family says it should be sometime early next week, hoping that it's before October 24th. That's when Natalie here will be celebrating her 18th birthday. In studio, Taya Cunningham, Fox 31. Yeah. 17 years old. And to go through a horrific experience like that, she's going to she's going to be scarred for the rest of her life. And uh, apparently, the story is that the Hamas terrorists let those two hostages go, those two particular hostages, because the mother was in poor health. That's what they say. I'm actually. I'm actually quite optimistic about the fate of hostages because I believe that Hamas is savvy enough and experienced enough to know that that's the only currency they have. After the bombing and after it all said and done, they will still want some of their prisoners back, right? So it wouldn't make any sense if you execute the hostages, you're going to unleash more rage and then you won't be able to get your people out. So you might as well wait till Israel stops and then go back to the negotiating table. So I can't imagine 
who in the right mind would execute this is basically like uh, your cryptocurrency right now except better in this situation human bargaining chips yeah how yeah. sad is that but it but yeah. it's true that's that's what they are and of course for older people like me it brings back terrible memories of the Iranian hostage crisis of 1979 1980 um and you know i do not understand why President Biden isn't taking a harder line on getting those hostages back. No ifs, ands, buts, or maybes. You give us back our American hostages right now, or we're going to rain down all hell upon you. That's just my feeling on it. What's yours? Well, what's all hell? More of what Israel is doing? Um, with yeah, make it look like it it's mean, or Americans or special forces fight. to go in to rescue hostages. In reality, it's much harder. Are you going to sacrifice your Marines and your special forces to go to an unfamiliar territory to try to rescue hostages? You That's don't right. Do I mean, Jimmy Carter found out the hard way when he tried once to send in a, an expeditionary force, and it was a disaster. Screw Google gave me a good... Now I'm going to change my Twitter handle to Colonial Apologist. That's going to be my... I thought it was going to be Land Grabber, but this is better. <laughs> Colonial Apologist. <laughs> but um, guys, movies make look much easier than the reality. So when these guys go into Gaza, the Israelis, into an urban warfare, every little noise they hear, they're going to freak out and they're going to unload a magazine of bullets. Many of those noises will be coming from animals from leaves or from innocent people. So prepare to see, prepare to see a lot of innocent random casualties. Um, and that's just the unfortunate reality. There's no way around it. There is a report that's been circulating today, confirmed by Israel, I should add, but it's coming from Hamas saying that they tried to return, I believe, to uh, Israeli hostages, and that Israel refused to accept them. Could you imagine that being true? And why would Israel do that? I could only imagine that if what they asked for return was something that wasn't acceptable to Israel. Um, but did they yeah. really offer here, take those two people, no strings attached? I can't imagine. Uh, it's hard to imagine strings not being attached when they made it very clear that they want all of their prisoners released from Israel. So maybe they were trying to trade a disproportionate number. We'll give you two and you give us a thousand. Uh, I can see that being unacceptable to Israel. That's not a very fair prisoner swap. Also, I'm as harsh as, as, it, as, harsh as it sounds. Um, I don't think Israel wants to send the message that this is what you can do in the future. Kidnap a bunch of people, make demands, and then we'll return them in exchange for fulfilling our demands. Right, right. So It is a very uh, difficult situation and afraid that it may be, I, I, let's hope that it's not go going to be a year like it was in 1979. It, let's hope that their captivity is ended as soon as possible and that this doesn't drag on and on and on. And, and I fear for the safety of those hostages. If the ground invasion goes forward, and it looks like it will, um, how are they going to keep their bargaining chips safe? Um, I'm honestly surprised that the media is not 
focusing more attention on the hostage issue. Right. I think they're giving right. Biden a pass. Mm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I do have a question to you guys. One one question. Why is there so much coverage of this complete blackout 24-7 on all channels? Palestine, Israel, Gaza, 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 all day. And, uh, Americans don't care about anything else for two weeks? <laughs> you know, that's interesting to note, Arkady, because in all of the public opinion polls that I've seen so far in this election cycle, foreign policy, the war in Ukraine, the Israel-Palestine situation, at least until two weeks ago, was of concern to only 2% of Americans. 2%, less than 2%. So now, yeah, all of a sudden the media is telling you you should care. And of course you should. But it's just interesting, isn't it? That much. Yeah. Yeah. It's just disproportionate. Looks like way more than Ukraine, way more than COVID even. So that's very interesting. Um, maybe soon we'll have the ticker of how many people died and how many people injured, just like we used to have during COVID on both sides. So true. And it's interesting how everybody suddenly developed amnesia about the war in Ukraine. It's like that's not even going on, according to the, uh, over. the media. It's all over. Look over here. Forget over there. Look over here. <laughs> so, Rick, any final thoughts before we close out? No, guys, I, um, I'm just grateful to both uh, Don and Arkady. It's been Thank for having very good conversation. This was really enlightening, and I, I wanted to do this in a way that, you know, each of you got an hour to explain your position rather than making it a debate. I know that social media loves conflict. I think there's been enough conflict the last two weeks. We've seen nothing but conflict on every podcast, on every news channel. Everyone's trying to whip things up, stir things up. And the problem is we aren't listening to each other. We aren't listening to the other side. And so I want to thank all of you for listening to the other side, no matter which side you're on, or maybe you haven't chosen a side. But it's important that you hear the perspectives um, of both sides. And I believe that you, the viewers, are the jury. And we've just presented a case. Obviously, Arkady's uh, an attorney. He can make a great case. Uh, Don DeBar also makes a very strong case, even though he's not an attorney. But you've heard both sides. And the rest is up to you to decide. Once thank you, guys. And uh, thank you. Have, having said that, if somebody wants a debate, I'm totally up for it. I promise to be respectful and cool, but at the same time, make it productive and engaging. I'm not afraid of live debate. So keep me in mind. For the future okay <laughs> well we'll have uh, some debates in fact i think don debar challenged you to a debate so we may just have to do that <laughs> would be uh, engaging and interesting but uh Arthur, you're always interesting i i enjoy watching you on american and crimea kevin michalizzi's oh. channel very much and uh really i'm so glad to have you on the show and we will thank you Lori. likewise i'm always happy to come if anything comes up where i can be of service don't hesitate excellent excellent we will take you up on that and rick walker thank you thanks to don debar and once again thanks to everybody out there for watching strange bedfellows tonight we'll see you back here next saturday night at 9 p.m eastern until then peace <laughs>
right meets left, positive touch is negative, sparking an explosion of truth. Because politics makes strange bedfellows. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.